six of Ahsoka takes us to far, far away. We get the words that are spoken <laughs> that we've seen through the crawls many time, a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. Some escapism in this episode. TK, we have another episode of Ahsoka in the books. This is part six of our eight episode mm-hmm. season one installment. I'm in watching this and then rewatching it again. You and I were texting a little bit about it. There wasn't a lot about the action or about what happened in the episode, things, characters. There's not a lot of, like, complaints I have about what's going on. The major Mm -hmm. complaints I have about some of these Star Wars uh, shows that we've been watching recently is the pacing and the Mm -hmm. timing and the way they they spread the episodes up. It just seems so weird. Like, did this in the book of Boba Fett. We kind of did it in The Mandalorian, too. We have a 50-minute episode of TV where we spend, like, one minute with Ahsoka. We don't get much of her at all. And then we don't get any kind of flashbacks or cutbacks to the other galaxy. We're just completely Mm -hmm. in one place with Sabine. And for the with Sabine, Balin, Shin, Morgan, a couple new characters. I I didn't have a problem with the stuff that's going on, but I just seen there's like a timing, a pacing. There's some parts where it's a little bit slow and it feels like it maybe shouldn't have been a part to be slow. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but that's more Mm -hmm. what it was. Like I didn't, there wasn't something where I rolled my eyes and went, Oh, that was stupid. Or that didn't look good. Right. Or none of that particularly. I think it was just more of the way the, the presentation is coming off with some of these things. Yeah, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's with the pacing. It's It has to do with the writing uh, because the execution from the actors to the special effects are, are really on point. There's some really good-looking stuff. Uh, movie episode, movie quality. The, the production design is fantastic. It really elevates uh, certain things. I thought Thrawn looked great. Uh, Dad bod aside, looked great. Very oh, nice. Oh, yeah, that little valley popping out. <laughs> Love that. I, I heard yeah, – I heard a uh, – some some memes going around Grand Admiral Dad Bod and I saw something of a before COVID and it was a uh, him in, in Rebels and then after COVID and him from Ahsoka, uh, but no no need to body shame. I mean, uh, it's just it, more you know what's the, funny? It doesn't it, fit the character. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But it, it is a little. There's something kind of um in in. I don't know if it's like scary or there's something that's a little mm-hmm. like chilling about a person that wants to be really pristine and clean, yeah. but like can't quite be that way, mm. right? That's sort yeah, of what yeah, yeah. comes off as like a guy who, he's always had like his his um, uniform fully steamed and cleaned and looking beautiful. Right. But you could sort of see there's like fraying on the collar, right, right. you know, and kind like- part of the seams. Yeah, um, that, that makes uh, sense thematically. I mean, yeah, because they're, they're kind of stuck and know. they're caught in this galaxy, yeah. you know, so it- that that makes sense, but you're right. It is. It, I thought the same thing um, with Thrawn. When you get the first look at him, you're kind of like cool, but it, it, you do sort of notice the belly a little bit, right? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It is like, a, like help it. not the body shame, but but I think yeah. I think what we notice with Thrawn and in in watching more of Rebels, what is so um, in, like terrifying about him, and I think what really where the character is nailed is through the voice. Yeah, oh, yeah, big time. And, and that's you know, consistent the voice, with the voice actor. I mean, yeah. I, I think we have the same from, from animated to live action. That's one yep. of the few examples of that. And you know uh, who it reminds cool me of, TK, the, the, like, the way it is? And honestly, when I was watching Rebels for the first time, I thought it was him, the guy that plays Ramsey from Game of Thrones. 
like the oh, way yeah they have a similar quality very similar yeah. quality voice and like the like it's like scary he talks very slow mm-hmm. you know and yeah, it's like it's methodical he, and he's mm-hmm. very eloquent yeah. and smart the, the yeah. sounding in how he he delivers you know like scary sounding things it's just um it, yeah. it, it, it's even like a like a zemo-ish quality to him you know, like like a really smart right, guy right. that can like tell you smart things about how he's gonna like kill you, you know, or like do some really really yeah. bad stuff. So that he's very matter of fact about uh, his his morality and you know his ethics, uh, and doesn't really mince words about it. Uh, the, the the stuff with him and and Balin I thought was really compelling. You know, the, yep. the little stuff, but the the subtext of the little disrespect uh, coming from. Thrawn and, and Balin kind of, you know, checking himself, holding his tongue, trying to put up a, a, a face, you know, to maintain good graces. And there's that tension. You could feel the tension of, you know, his Jedi pass rubbing up against Thrawn there. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And of course, you also have the the idea that maybe Balin wants to protect the Jedi in some mm-hmm. sense. So he's at odds kind of with with Thrawn's um plans for for Balin to ultimately kill Sabine and and, uh, and Ezra so yeah I, I I could really see that tension bubbling and that, that kind of it caught my interest and you uh you were kind of uh kind of hitting on it a little bit too mm-hmm. we were getting introduced to Ezra to Thrawn mm-hmm. I thought um two major new characters I thought mm-hmm. they feel I think the first time I watched it I um I I didn't feel Ezra getting sort of presented like as big of a character. I think the second time I watched it, he mm-hmm. he hit a little bit better. With Thrawn, I think even if there were some things maybe about the look that was off, the mm-hmm. presentation with the music and the score oh, when yeah. he came up and, was very good. Yeah. You could sort of like feel it like, okay, something's coming right now. Here he comes. And absolutely. I, I like the way that the 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 troopers, the night troopers, all their armor is like mm-hmm. chipped. And they don't have the resources to have brand new stuff. So they have to fill in with like yeah. gold and mask. This was like a, a Japanese yeah. uh, tradition. Like Kintsugi. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, is- which gave me deja vu because I was like, wait, didn't, didn't, wasn't this an aesthetic uh, choice, a motif that was used in Loki or something? And we, I'm, right. I, I, yes. I, I know we talked about this on the podcast for one of our other uh, we did. shows. So I, I felt deja vu as I was having that uh, realization. And now we know Thrawn, Ezra are in this distant galaxy. We get some witchcraft. We meet with the witches of here, uh, witches of Dathomir. And you you were kind of hitting on one of my my the most interesting things in the episode to me, mm-hmm. and sort of the one of the most intriguing storylines moving forward is what's up with Balin. You know, he seems so conflicted. Absolutely. He talks he talks about how, and and. Again, at first I was kind of confused, and then in just sort of listening to him and watching it back, he's like mesmerized by this world that he's heard stories about when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be this magical fairy tale world, but it was supposed to be non-existent. Then he gets there, and the yeah. world doesn't really look like anything he's seen. It looks like a desolate wasteland, but he can feel something more, like there's something calling out to him, yeah. something from the force. He can sense it. But he even mentions it's like a it's a power that's almost scaring the witches away. It's something maybe different than that. Right. So he, his character and what and like how he's got these morals and how he's still tied to the, the the force and with the Jedi, you could see him 
ending up on either side here, right? Like I could see him in the next couple mm-hmm. episodes being someone who who goes out on the sword, you know, who has like a come, absolutely like a, yeah. a full circle moment where he steps in and he saves yeah. Ezra and Sabine, and maybe he's he's someone who, um, you know, who ends up becoming a quote unquote good guy for his final moments. I I could really see that the way he's yeah. they're setting him up, and even with Shin too, they both seem to mm-hmm. have. A really good moral code slash compass, in particular, mm-hmm. like a Jedi way of doing things. They're not just brutal murderers out there. They're not just going to kill anyone or anything. They have a job to do, and that's what they're mm-hmm. going to do. Yeah, they seem to have like a, a nobility to their motivation on on some level, even though they're at mm-hmm. odds with you know our our heroes and our protagonists, and and they're willing to do uh, bad things. It seems like ultimately they are kind of being teed up for some sort of a redemptive arc, Mm -hmm. uh, because there's good in there. And Balin, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think we could call it right now. He's probably going to sacrifice himself for the greater good by the end of the series. That'll leave, um, oh, what's, what, what is his, uh, Padawan's name again? uh, Uh, Yeah, that'll leave Shin, uh, you know, teed up, I think, to join Ahsoka and, uh, her crew of rebels. And, I think that would be a really interesting dynamic yeah. uh, to have Sabine side by side uh, with Shin there and uh, and the, the sort of co- com- competition between, you know, someone who's kind of more adept uh, and a natural at the force and someone who uh, it doesn't come easy to, but one, you know, has had more of a, uh, a bad dark side past. And so they would both have kind of one thing over each other. And I think that could carry on an interesting um, dynamic move, moving forward as they can kind of, you know, be at odds with one another, but ultimately work together and, and grow. There, there's a lot of uh, juice to squeeze there. The moment that I was, I, I started wanting what you're saying was the moment <laughs> when um, Grand Admiral Thrawn lets Sabine go and then he tells Balin and Shin to go after him. And Shin <laughs> looks over at Balin like, what? Yeah. You said that you were going to let her go or you said you were yeah. going to let her fly. And, and there's this moment where you actually see her like the frustration on her face. You lied. Yeah. You said this was going to happen. You know, there's good in there with her. She just mm-hmm. sort of is, yeah. is like a she's like a kid that just needs the direction, yeah. you know, Absolutely. That's, um, and you can kind of feel it and sense it with her as we are in part six far, far away. We're going to get into the scene by scene, but we have to mention them right off the bat at the beginning. We got the Noti, man. These nomadic little turtles that disguise themselves as rocks. And they remind me of like Jiminy Cricket looking characters. They really did. There was something to them. And uh, they even wear clothes. They have like little glasses on. And they're awesome. These, These great little characters. Sabine finds them and they're actually able to help her and lead her to Ezra. So uh, anytime we can get a cute little character, we had the cat in a couple episodes before, you know, Mm -hmm. so they know what they're doing. We're going to get some oohs and and some ahs anytime we get these, uh, these, you know, like screen porn with some of these, these great things (laughs) that everybody, that everybody loves out here, right? These no teas were great. It's a, an easy win, maybe easier said than, than done. That's some really amazing special effects that went into that. 
uh, and they really pulled it off. Um, but yeah, that's part of the fabric of of Star Wars is you got to have these cute characters in every iteration mm-hmm. of it. And you know, sometimes they're not always uh, super popular, or they they kind of miss the mark with some segment of fans. Uh, yeah, Jar Jar, <laughs> Ewoks, uh, to name a few. But you know, Ewoks are also popular amongst you know other segments of fans, as as is Jar Jar. Uh, and uh, I, I really liked these guys. I thought that like they instantly had a distinct um personality and a character mm-hmm. to their their design and the way that they moved and uh i, I mean again the, the special effects was just second to none it was just really really good to that point where these, you're like is this live howlers. action is this like an, uh, animatronics yeah terrific yeah the howler absolutely the uh mm-hmm. the giant rat dog horse wolf thing like like yeah Those that thing great. was uh, man really cool it reminded yeah, me of man bear pig right yeah you, you you forget that it's a cg thing uh, there, they really did it well. I mean, the, the only times I could really feel maybe a little bit of the seams of the special effects are sometimes where there's live action characters against the background and it feels a little green screeny, a little composited. Yeah. Uh, that said, when it's all CG, I mean, it looks so real. It's photo real. I mean, there, there was one shot of like the gold ship coming down that was just a, a, a mate like landing, and it was, it was, um, you know, it was like spaceship porn again. Like it was, yeah. It was just melting the moment there. ship is like, oh my god. And that moment was was amazing too. The way it lined up, uh, the, the like the the docks thing, which was like the Tower of Sauron almost. Uh, a lot of like Lord of the Rings um, fantasy references uh, as of late going on in the story. But like, yeah, the visuals really sold that moment and built it up when when Thrawn arrived. The massive scale of that ship uh, over top of them. Uh, and then, like like you said, the, the chanting and the music and like all the roles of the, those stormtroopers and the, the new iteration of stormtroopers with the red sashes and the kintsugi gold, all the gold flare gold just looks great. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of, of visuals to feast on here and uh, they really nailed that part. Get into part six of season one of Ahsoka Far, Far Away. We open inside the mouth of a pergil. But we get to see the outside and what it looks like when you travel through hyperspace. This incredible yeah. color spectrum. It looks like you're looking through what are those like pictic what are the things called? The cyclograph, you know, where you, you twist them and you just see all the different colors. Oh, kaleidoscope. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Kaleid <laughs> when you're a kid and you got those all there. It looks exactly it. like yep. that, what you're looking through, and it's just beautiful, all these great colors. But Ahsoka and Hu Yang, they they can't see that because they're actually inside the mouth of this big Purgle and yeah. Huyang jokes intergalactic travel within a star whale. Now I've really done it all. <laughs> and um, he and Ahsoka talk for a moment. She remembers the stories from the temple and he says, Oh, yes, history of the galaxy parts one, two, and three. And everybody smiles around, you know, <laughs> like it's like, Oh, what are you talking yeah. about? The uh, the movies, the trilogies, what? Remember berries. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, Ahsoka smiles. She's she's sort of like we all smile through her at, at that moment. And then uh, Hu Yang says, "I still have those stories in my archive memories. Do you want to hear one?" She says, "No, not right now. She's distracted. She's worried still about Sabine." She tells Hu Yang, "Sabine went with the enemy willingly. He doesn't agree to that, but she." Let's him know. I saw it through the force when I held the map. She could have ended this. No Thrawn, no war. But he reminds her, no Ezra. And this is where Ahsoka is conflicted because, you know, he loves Ezra. It's not as if any of these people don't want Ezra to come back, but it's a sacrifice. 
that they right. have to make in order to keep from Thrawn from coming back from starting a new war. And yeah. and and it's a sacrifice that Ezra made too. I think that's important. Very. We don't have to deal with that. We we never in this episode have that uh, revealed to him that, that we've kind of undone his sacrifice Sabine, a little in bit. In particular, has undone yeah. what he did in a selfish yeah, reason. Yeah. So so yeah, that could be a, a point of contention between those two characters at some point. Great point here. As I loved what Hu Yang said, um, Ahsoka feels bad. There wasn't enough time to prepare Sabine to make the right choice. But Hu Yang says the force provides you with insight, but it does not give one all the answers. Yeah, it makes sense. We've been hearing a lot of things about the force in some of these recent shows and and movies that I like because they're yeah. it just makes sense. It's sort of like um, just making it easier for the, the the regular person to understand and to get a set a feel for what the force might have been or how it could have impacted them. <laughs> but when once Ahsoka starts to think about all this, it's like. Once you or I start worrying about all the bills that we've got piling up, you know, she's like, hold on, I don't right. think about this for a minute. Tell me the story, Huang. <laughs> Let me turn yeah. on Ahsoka right now. I need to get out of this for a second. Right. And she sits back and Huyang says, okay, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and he begins the tale. It's just, it's so meta and it's so corny, yeah. but it, it is kind of cool to hear the words spoken like that and like, like someone's telling the story of Star Wars that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was cute. Uh, I heard some people say it was cringe. Uh, I was kind of neutral on it. Where, Me too. Leaning towards, leaning towards cute. Like where it, was, it, was, it was an easy member, Barry. And it was just for the, the intro, really. That's it, uh, right? And, and, and we called it, too. We called it last week uh, that this episode would not follow Ahsoka and, mm-hmm. and that side of the story. It would be all the other side. And, I mean, with the exception of this one scene, which, again, it's just an intro uh, before the title credits, uh, this is all an entirely Sabine and uh, Balin and – um, you know, the uh, Peridia story. So yeah, uh, and pretty cool stuff. I actually didn't mind that that, that framing of it, and I thought this was a nice way to uh, check back in with Ahsoka, but also you know frame this other story, uh, which is relevant to what's going on in the series. It's not it's not quite the same as like when we really just jumped in um, what was it Book of Boba Fett all the way to, to like, the Mandalorian story, and it was like a completely yeah <laughs> different thing. They are- they are two storylines that are happening at the same time, and they are intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it's not just complete, complete flashbacks. You know, I just feel like with some of these, like even with the Mando and the Book of Boba Fett, there's no. Yeah. They do it with all these episodes where they're having simultaneous things happening, right? It just seems mm-hmm. like this is that's something that they can get a better sense of. I don't know. You don't. You don't like feel it as much, maybe in a movie. When yeah, it's yeah. a couple hours and maybe some there's something that happens for like 20 or 30 minutes and then you get back to it. But it, it is jarring when you're like away from people for a week or a couple weeks sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when you're when you're watching things like week True. to week. As, uh, and it, it seems like they do it in the same point of the series. Every uh, time. I know. 100% on that, but it's around like the same, right like after a three-quarter the middle. mark or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, we get the Ahsoka title screen far, far away. And we pick up with Sabine. She's in a cell. She's handcuffed. She's trying to use the force to get out as uh, Balin is keeping watch on her. She screams at Balin as he walks off. We had a deal. You promised me I would see Ezra again. He walks off into the uh, the cockpit with Shin 
and Morgan. They're on the Eye of Scion going through hyperspace, and they're getting ready. They're not far away. Um, Morgan asks Balin, do you still mean to follow through on your promise to her? He Balin's very smart. He knows how much Sabine wants to see Ezra, so he feels like they'll be able to use her to get something out of her in some way to to mm-hmm. prey on her emotions. Um, yeah, he he knows the leverage point that he can use, and he knows that she has skills, uh, so that you know she could come in handy. Plus, in the back of his mind, he just doesn't want to kill her. She's he like a Jedi, and he she's has a Jedi. for that. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, so he's want a little to biased kill in that way. Anyone he doesn't have to. You know, yeah. that's just who he is. As the droids alert them, they've arrived at their destination. The Eye of Scion exits hyperspace. It almost emits something when it does. I, I loved how uh, mm-hmm. Eric from New Rockstars kind of pointed this yes. out. It's, wow. It almost looked and sort of sounded like it was is in a place where it wasn't supposed to be. Like it was mm-hmm. like overheating, yeah. you know, and there was like right. a, a shock that it emitted once it um, left hyperspace and just leaving like a trail of chemicals or something in the uh yeah. in the wake so it just cool little visuals there as we get closer and closer to peridia and we hear morgan let us know this was the home world of my ancestors the dathomiri balin said the jedi archive spoke of this place it was the end of a migration route used by the star whales as they traversed the void from one galaxy to the other morgan says that Her people were the first to harness and ride the creatures in the days before time was counted. The whales came here to die. Peridia is a graveyard. Balin sort of looks disappointed. This is a place that he's heard about, stories he's heard about. Doesn't really look like the magical place he heard when he was Mm -hmm. a kid at the Jedi Temple with, with fairy tales. So they arrive and take a transport to the surface of Peridia. Kind of foggy. Dreary, big pillars You hit it right on the head, right? They're going for something Lord of the Rings here That you mm-hmm. can really get the sense of When we get on the um, the surface of this planet And we see the Stonehenge statues all over Of these big mm-hmm. witches The the mothers of uh, of Dathomir That they're, they're presented very creepily, right? In these red hoods, yeah. like dark spirits There's three of them Kind of a always three again, like, with witches. Always three with the witches. This is like another thing. They remind you of like the three from Loki, you know, that are sort of like mm-hmm. the, the way they're positioned because they're positioned kind of like a triangle with one out in front a little, but the behind the other two. And they have mm-hmm. different stuff on um like headdresses that they're wearing. So th- they might be signaling some sort of hierarchy amongst mm-hmm. them. But they're they're creepy looking, man. They're they're definitely scary. You get a like there's a lot of scary, terrifying kind of vibes. Throughout this episode that they're going for And uh, the, these ladies They are dealing in the dark Magic yeah. here, no doubt about it Yeah, yeah And they have a really uh, scary way they talk too It's like when one talks It sounds like they're all kind of talking And whispering at the same time So it's it's a it's a creepy kind of effect That, Almost like that they hissing. have uh, yeah. yeah, yeah And they're doing this thing where they're all connected By this like thread of energy And I don't know what's going on with that I think they're kind of like Reading uh, fate I think mm-hmm. there's something to do with fate And, and you know, destiny uh, And the thread of destiny I think they use that that phrase that phrase um, in, the, in the episode uh, So again, leaning on that supernatural uh, Aspect of the, of the story Star, uh, Star Wars has always been Fantasy and Sci-fi together And this is much more heavy on the fantasy As of late uh, Which is totally welcome in my opinion 
Yeah, it's it's kind of new. It's sort of like uncharted territory, you know. It's mm-hmm. instead of like yeah. redoing a lot of the same things over and over again, we get a little um, a little something unique here, as they use witchcraft to tie up Sabine. So it's like it's almost like she's lassoed here, and and mm-hmm. the and she gets taken away. She's binded up as they're on a platform, kind of like the one that was on Setos with these three women, and mm-hmm. um, they. It, it's interesting. They make a comment the the mothers do. They can smell the Jedi. It reeks of yeah. Jedi here as uh they talk about Thrawn. He is coming. And Balin sort of just looks around confused at this moment. The witches go, Sabine goes back to her is back in her cell, and now it's just Balin and Shin talking together. And he's really conflicted. This is a land of dreams and madness Children's stories come to life Shin doesn't know about those stories Well you weren't raised at the temple Balin lets her know Stories of this galaxy are considered folk tales Um, When I was a bit older I watched a bit older than you I watched everything I knew burn The Jedi temple And Balin says yeah you know I couldn't make any sense of it at the time But as you get older This is like really in a weird way, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's just like um, depressing, you know, at the mm-hmm. same time. As you get older, look at history. You'll realize it's all inevitable. Fall of the Jedi, rise of the Empire. It repeats again and again and again. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. damn. And we do see it in these Star Wars movies. The same exact thing. It repeats. Anakin kind of talked about it in the flashback we saw last week with Ahsoka earlier on. The Jedi were just keepers of the peace. Then in the next iteration, they've got to be soldiers. And then in the next iteration, Mm -hmm. they have to be a different version of themselves. But it always is the fall of the Jedi, rise of the Empire, and sort of rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, He uses that word inevitable again. He said that um, when he had to face off with Ahsoka. Uh, So he's he's got this, like, cynical perspective now of, like— He's kind of uh, outside uh, of the of the team sports, you know, the Jedi versus the yeah. the, the Empire. Like he, he's he's cynical about it all. Um, but uh, I think that's pr- again prime uh, a prime position for him as a character to find mm-hmm. some sort of redemption uh, and in the end to find something to believe in. He doesn't uh, right feel now he doesn't believe in anything. Yeah, and he doesn't feel like completely tied one way or the other, right? Like he's just sort right. of. Doing what he what he thinks should be done or what he sees fit, um, yeah. and Shin she she asks him, like, "What what do you see here? Why are we here?" And that's sort of like the question that we're asking: like, what is he seeing? Mm-hmm. What is his real motivation other than just being a mercenary? Right. He, he says, "What I'm seeking is the beginning, so I may finally bring that cycle to an end. And if the old stories are true." That might be here. It's a place with power. It's a place that's deserted. He thinks this might be a place where basically a new world can begin. Um, I think it's – he is being a little – for a guy who seems really level-headed, I think there's a little part of him who like still has those those stories from when he was a kid in his head. Mm. Yeah. He's a little naive. Yeah. In in a way, yeah. mm Mm-hmm. But he's he's still dealing with that trauma, right? Like that's what that's what's you know it, uh, inspired all of this is that you know his people were wiped burned. out. He he rose to the ranks of general, so he had to feel a lot of responsibility for people underneath him, and 
he probably felt like he got him all killed at some point, you know? Uh, so it's, it's almost like having your, your children die. I, I, as a Jedi, it's not like you have family. So if you were, if you're a, a general in the Jedi, you, you would feel almost a familial fatherhood type of responsibility towards all your people. So think about like all of them being wiped out at once, the trauma of that would kind of break your brain. Now, I like the way they did this next part where you have Sabine, she's in her cell, she's trying to use the force, you know, and she's doing different things and if it's not working, <laughs> but it it for a moment as she closes her eyes and focuses, it looks like it's working for her. Like she's trying yeah. to use the force and it looks like things are starting to move and things are starting to rumble, but it's not Sabine. It's it's the tremors from the massive ship of Thrawn, the yeah. Chimera. And things get ominous. The score and the music really pick up here. These troopers mm-hmm. are all lined up as they chant, Thrawn, 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 Thrawn. And he makes his way through them. And he says a great line right off the bat as he walks mm-hmm. up. What was first a dream has become a frightening reality for those who may <laughs> oppose us. Great mothers, I salute you. Soon we shall all escape this exile thanks to the efforts of Morgan Elsbeth. So we joked about the belly, but it is difficult when you have a character that comes from animation where you have a lot more options where you can do things. It doesn't feel as mm-hmm. as it's 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 jokey. It's supposed to be. It's for kids. You can make things look more silly. It's way harder mm-hmm. to do it in real in live action, especially with someone who's a blue skinned character yeah. with red eyes. He's a kiss. Uh, I think a chiss is what is it, what he is. Is a villain from Rebels, mm. and this dude is a badass man. He is a brilliant tactician. He's smart. He's cerebral, but he's very mm-hmm. like a uh, stoic, and that's what that's what makes yeah. him scary. He doesn't go like you don't see him yelling and screaming a whole lot. He demands respect, and you just you fall in line with him. Um, I liked. A lot of the presentation with Thrawn and mainly that voice, man, that voice gets you. Yeah, yeah. I thought everything about uh, the actor's delivery, his uh, makeup, the special effects that went into. I don't know if it was 100 percent practical, but it looked it looked real. Uh, and they pulled off that he was this, you know, blue, uh, this blue alien. Um, I thought that it all was very well done. And like you said, the voice uh, he just brings a lot of gravitas and, st- like you said, stoicism uh, to the role. I think where this ultimately for me was lacking was in the writing. We've been hearing so much about yes. how badass he is. Uh, and again, the, the, the actor, I believe that he's this badass guy. Uh, and the visual aspect of it, I believe all that stuff. Nothing is telling me otherwise, but I just haven't gotten you enough to feel it. on at this point where, yeah, it feels anticlimactic, even with all that buildup from the troopers. I, and I get it. You know, I get stir me a little yes. bit, but it, not 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 to the level that I would have expected from the way know, they're building him up for this character. Yes. yes yeah, yeah. And that's precisely. I felt that the ver- really and and I think that's a that's the thing because when you watch this episode the first time, it does mm-hmm. for both of these two characters, uh, Thrawn and Ezra, feel a little anticlimactic. Right. Like it, yeah. it, it with Thrawn, it's harder because exactly what you were pointing out, all of the bells and whistles around him are good. 
Like mm-hmm. everything around him is made to look good and to complement his presentation. And I'm not I don't really have a problem with the, his look or his voice. It's almost like we needed to see him doing something really evil right away. You know, yeah, like, maybe. like they may they may have missed out on like a seeing him do because a lot of what is happening is we're being told things. Right. You know? And or we, we maybe should have seen it in Rebels, but but absolutely. You know, I personally you, haven't. But, and they're, then, well, they're that's on the, that too much. But you're, but you're right. They can't just, and they, they're not going under the, um, the like prerequisite that everybody's seen that, right? They can't, yeah. and that's what they have to do with this show is be able to also make you scared of this guy if you haven't watched Rebels. And yeah. I complete like what you hit on was exactly what I felt the first time I watched it through. Completely yeah. agree. Is that if you didn't know more about these two. They just sort of felt like, okay, another character. Here's a character. <laughs> like Thrawn felt more, again, he felt more because of the way they presented him. But the moments he <laughs> starts interacting and talking, he feels just like, like another, another general that you've seen in Star Wars. We haven't yeah. heard, again, there was something missing. It was almost like, again, a scene. Was there a scene in there somewhere? Should there have been <laughs> a flashback? Should there have been like the end of the last episode, we see Thrawn doing something really chilling? You know, to yeah, set us up yeah. for this one. Maybe that's what. Ne- but when we talked a little bit, and I, I could sense that we were kind of in the same boat. In that, it wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of what was done. It's just this character. It, it felt like there was something missing. And then even for Ezra, when we get to Ezra in a minute, and Sabine yeah. and him meet, they have this kind of cute little moment where they joke and then they embrace. But I, there was, it felt weird. Like Ezra's just going to be okay with Sabine not telling yeah. him what happened, not telling him the story, what say, what yeah. like. So those two things, while I'm not like super upset or I'm not like over it or anything, and I'm sure it'll get kind of retconned a little bit in the next two episodes. I think there mm-hmm. could have been a lot better way of really introducing this new audience to these two characters, Thrawn and Ezra. Yeah, and I think you nailed it. We needed to have seen him do more. We need to see mm-hmm. him do something, like you said, chilling or torturing some someone. Way. We we, you know? we need to see how smart he is, like why he's the general. We need to see some, like, I, I think it was telling. about a flashback dream <laughs> of Ahsoka just closing her eyes, flashback, and she dreams of something that happened with the two of them. Just like we saw her yeah. flashback with Anakin, you know? So, like, we see something that Thrawn did years ago to why he's terrifying and why these people are so scared of him. And yeah. at least we get a sense, like a flashback with him and with Ezra. But I could tell, like, they don't want to do that because they want, like, your first introduction to Thrawn to be that moment with the Thrawn, Thrawn, yeah. Thrawn, Thrawn. So I get it, but it's one of those things where, like, when you write this, you got to, you, you know, you can do it whatever way you want. And unfortunately, it just didn't come off the best, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been nice if, even in that scene, that that great introduction scene, even if they kept it the way it was, but then we gave Thrawn something more to do. Like, what if he killed off Morgan Elsbeth right there? Right, like, off, right or off the bat. Cap- Captain Enoch. You know, uh, one of, like just something brutal and like just to change the dynamic of everything, completely upend your expectations and show that he's this ruthless to the point. And, and you could ha- also have an opportunity to show everyone's reactions to him. I mean, that's part of what we got. We got to see, you know, you all know. the stor- stormtroopers standing and, and, and uh, 
you know, saluting him and, and you could tell, okay, they, he commands, the, you know, their respect, but we could, we could have had more with that, um, you know, uh, Captain Enoch or whatever his name was, that, that really this cool, uh, you know, the gold faced uh, stormtrooper. Uh, we could have maybe had something with him and him serving um, uh, Thrawn and maybe, maybe disciplining one of their internal ranks or something. You know what, just you know to what show scene I'm how, thinking how of? Is. <laughs> you're, you're, to me, in my head, when you're talking about this, I'm seeing the scene in Breaking Bad when Gus Fring goes down. And it, Ooh, yes. it, it kills the guy, his own guy, right in front of yeah. of Jesse and Walter, just to show them like what he's right. capable of doing. He doesn't even Beautiful say anything. Example. He just yeah. guts the guy right there, and there's just blood all over. And he's and they're yeah. just like, oh my god! And then he walks away, and like, but and that's what something like that where Thrawn doesn't even get worked up. Yeah. You know, Darth he, Vader. He, uh, we 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 could go to Darth Vader example exactly. of when he's choking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think Grandma so. Parkin. Yeah. Yeah. It just like that. That's a good see, example, I think. And Dude. so again, it's not like we're not. It's not awful, but when mm-hmm. things have been going really well, you just feel like, man, there's like a, a couple little things that were missed that could have made this presentation even better and could have made it hit home a little bit more yeah. right off the bat to where now. We're going to need to see more from Thrawn before we feel it. And unfortunately, it might be another episode or two before we even get anything like that. And yeah, that that's yeah. what was missing, that scene that we just plotted out. So if you're listening yeah. and you want to rewrite this or like, you know, <laughs> release a DVD uh, with some extended scenes, TK and I, we won't take much. We promise we won't take much, right. just a little bit for a consultant fee. That, <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Um, it was a taste. Yeah, just a little. So... We see Thrawn interact with the Great Mothers. He introduces Enoch, the captain of his guard. He talks about a cargo transfer. And we see a couple times throughout the episode a lot of his guards moving these big boxes that almost look like caskets, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, um, I assume they were. Yeah, I wasn't sure. They, yeah, they, they, exactly. They look like they were caskets. The Mothers mention a loose thread that Morgan has brought someone with her. Sabine Wren And uh, when the name Is mentioned <laughs> Thrawn smiles And he yeah. says oh, There's a familiar name And she <laughs> will be of great use to us Thrawn and Sabine Interacted in Rebels a little bit And that's where we go next Sabron is uh, Sab- Sabron You see what I did there <laughs> <laughs> Combination When Sab- Sabine and Thrawn have a kid It's Sabron oh, yeah. That's their, yeah, That's their child here um, the beautiful little portmanteau. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sabine's brought before Grand Admiral Thrawn, and he, he says, "What a li- what a delight to, uh, it is after so long to see a familiar face." He actually thanks Sabine, and he's being serious. She's the reason why he's able to get out of here. If it wasn't for Sabine yeah. being so selfish just to want to see her friend Ezra, Thrawn would have been trapped forever. The desire to be reunited with your long lost friend. How that singular focus will reshape our galaxy. The way, like those kind of things that he says are cool. Like when he when he yeah. words something like that, that's a really um, nice way to say it. But he even tells her, "Hey, no need for hostility. I know of your agreement, and I'm going to honor it." And they just let her loose. You have provisions, amount, yeah. and we're going to give you our latest intel on Bridger's whereabouts. She doesn't believe him. You're going to just let me walk out? Why? Will you help me? Now I'm going to help you. And then he just matter-of-factly tells her, but look, once my ship leaves, 
you're going to be stranded here forever. And it's quite possible that your friend is dead. (laughs) (laughs) But she's, she believes, she has that faith that we all would have if you're searching for your friend, your mom, your dad, your brother, anyone that you know, you've got a feeling they're still out there, they're still alive. And that's what she Mm -hmm. tells him. Look, you wouldn't understand. I'm sure he's doing fine. You've gambled the fate of your galaxy on that belief. So uh, Thrawn, they get her set up, man. They give her a dog, the Howler, dog life, wolf creature. And she jumps on to ride the beast. And off she goes. But Enoch, man, he gives, he says a line to her before she leaves. He prepares her. um, And he says, look, nomads wander this wasteland and prey upon each other for survival. Here are your weapons. Die well. <laughs> that line yeah. just made me laugh. I don't know why. I, yeah, I popped it was a good one. Time. I popped every time he said it as he's like, you're like, oh, it's, he's giving her all these weapons and he's preparing her and then die well. <laughs> she's sort of like looks at him and, uh, and and she's off and they open the gates and they let her go. Thrawn, Morgan, Balin, and Shin, they watch as she rides off. And we're all just like watching this going, what the hell? Why are they letting her go? Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, on a cop show when they exactly. have a suspect and they cut him loose just to tail him, so you mm-hmm. take him take him to his friends. Like that's that's their motivation in it. You they, know where they're they going. Need to sell it to her. They need to yep. sell it to her that they're being like you know, legit, and so they, they give her, you know, the, the howler and whatnot. And you got we got to sell some action figures too. So that's why the howler's there, you know, amongst the, the other and the uh, notes. Yeah, cool. we can get to the notes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. but what they are able to do is in Balin's weird mind he's actually keeping his promise to her he told her he'd let her see ezra and he's going to but she's gonna lead yeah. them right to ezra and so thrawn has basically said like yep she's gonna do our work for her she's yeah. gonna do she's gonna do our job for us um, malicious but, compliance but you yeah. guys follow her and when you find her and ezra kill him <laughs> but sh- this is you see shin not mm-hmm. not liking this Cause she's the apprentice yeah. too. And she, I think she feels some weird connection with Sabine because they're in the same role. And more than mm-hmm. anything, she just, she respects her master Balin. And it seems like he's someone who's not been a liar to her, right? It seems like he's been honest yeah. with her. He's been a teacher with her. And now she's wondering, wait, I thought she's you were going to honor your agreement. She's like disappointed yeah, yeah. in her master here. So, yeah. I really liked that, that reaction. Too. And I, I liked Balin's reaction there too. It was this very kind of resigned, uh, uh, but but mournful kind of a reaction, uh, mm-hmm. and it again kind of harkened back to that inevitable kind of a, a vibe. Like, it, yeah, this is all inevitable. Yeah, it's a bad choice, but there's no good choices, right? Like, it's yeah. just something we've got to do. Yeah, but also, you, 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 it, it leaves open the opportunity that he's just placating. No, he's just placating. He's just fighting his time to do what he ultimately wants to do. Moving the pieces um, along the board, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's a smart dude. He doesn't need to stir things up for no reason. Mm-hmm. He gets what he can from everyone and from every situation and then moves to the next. Very yeah. cerebral and so, dude. And there's a little mystery there, too. So we don't we don't know as an audience. Like, is it is it just that? Uh, or, or is he going to be, you know, fully a bad guy by the end of this? Or, you know, like what, what's going on? Like, where, where's he going to wind up? And I, I like that they're kind of playing that uh, close to the vest. So Sabine, she's out on the howler looking for Ezra. She pulls out a scanner, 
We've seen uh, was Luke with one of these, right? I think <laughs> who had it before uh, years back, and, and uh, Hera too, General Hera in the, one of the previous episodes. And it seems to be detecting life. Yeah, when she was on uh, Cetos, just like looking around when they're looking around um, for uh, for Ahsoka and Sabine, seems to be detecting life. And as she's looking around, she gets attacked. Uh, she gets shot off the howler. But this is actually where Sabine does well. She's a great warrior. Hand-to-hand combat, Mandalorian training. Like, she fights off four or five nomads here. She's able to use her blasters, some of the Mandalorian tricks and tools that she has. Then she pulls out the lightsaber. She takes out about four or five of them. So she's okay. But the scanner's destroyed. And her howler's gone. So now she's just on foot walking around this area where she has no idea where she is, what she's looking for. So um, I saw some people also maybe get a little frustrated with this point because it doesn't seem like Sabine has to be looking for a while before she finds Ezra. But that was that was what they wanted, right? Like they wanted her to find Ezra. They set her up to find him. It's not like they're... They, it's not as if Thrawn couldn't f- have found Ezra. They've had they have some information on him, but it just mm-hmm. there. This this was the moment now they could use Sabine to go to go to get him to eliminate him mm-hmm. initially. Like I don't think they were trying. I don't think it was supposed to be this like ten week journey for Sabine finding Ezra. I think it was supposed to be like a day or two. She's gonna find him, and that's why Balin and Shin are following. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, you know if. <sighs> It's hard when you're watching I, I, I it though, because it saying. doesn't feel like she encountered a lot along the way, right? She, other than this little interaction with these nomads, it just didn't seem like yeah. it was that tough for her to have to to get through it. Timing, I don't mind. Like, we don't mm-hmm. know what the sense of time is in movies and shows we watch all the all the time. But she didn't encounter a lot on her journey. That's what I can understand with people's frustrations. Yeah, but I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, to be fair, I sure. I. I felt that criticism too, and I think it's a valid yeah. one. Uh, I think they could have implied a little bit more time passing sure. in this, even if they made it like seem like she had to spend a couple nights out, completely in there, set uh, up a fire, at a fight campfire, or something exactly. like that. Yep. Then I, I would buy it a little bit more. This sure. felt like she went out and one day and found him when they couldn't find, and it's a whole planet, right? Like Another, they couldn't like, find Thrawn was probably looking for him at some point, like. To almost a decade to find this guy, and she finds him in one day. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, even if it was Thrawn's intention that they would that she would find him faster than they would be able to. The scale Again, is just a little wonky there. Another um, the scene or two missing were that would have really worked, like you said. Could we just get a little bit of a like a montage of a her montage. doing a yeah. her doing a couple things over a couple days, like you said, yeah. like looking here, not, not even falling a scene, here, a montage. Yeah, like yeah. her, like her connecting more and more with this howler too. You know what I mean? Like what we see yeah. her like leaving the howler, but then she sort of learns how to ride it. The howler and her <laughs> kind of connect. Um, I, I agree with you, and maybe even a scene where Thrawn says something like, "Oh, we know exactly where he is," you know, something <laughs> like that, or like. We've we've had him like Mark, so we we know that it wasn't like they couldn't find him, right? Because like, those... he's going right into his sector, like yeah, some something like that to make it more plausible. Because the plausibility, it was too much like a Deus Ex Machina, yep, of 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 the plot. And I and uh, I you know, I yeah. heard that and I agree. It, it, I can un- I can like make a little sense of it, but again, I should we shouldn't have to. They can they could have done it better than that. They didn't need to do yeah. that with just one or two more scenes. 
it would have felt a little bit better for us. Yeah, as literally, that's all. I mean, we're talking it. a couple of shots here, a couple yeah. of shots of her walking, uh, sleeping under the stars, falling into a uh, thing, like you know, the, the howler yeah, having to absolutely. save her one time to where she actually cares about the howler because yeah. the howler left her the first time, right? So then yeah. we get that come full circle moment where the howler saves her, and then you know, it, I completely agree with you that that's what it felt like may have been missing here, but we see Balin and Shin follow after Sabine. And Thrawn's men continue to load in the cargo. Morgan and Thrawn are, they're plotting everything out right now. They're looking at this big map. And this is when we get a little bit of a sense of of some of Thrawn's evil. Because he tells Morgan, um, okay, we've got troops out there. Morgan asks, should we send out another, more troops to support them? He says, no, during this exile, our numbers have dwindled. Two squads will suffice. Our primary objective is to escape this galaxy. It matters not whether Ren and Bridger are killed or stranded here, and the same can be said for your two mercenaries. As soon as they're ready to go, they're ready to mm. go. He could care less what happens to everybody yeah. else, you know? Cutting them loose, yeah. It, it, so, this is it, like that it, um, that that scene from Mad Men where it's like he he says, I, I hate you, or he says, I don't even think about you. You're not even on my radar, you know? Right, he doesn't even right. – for, for these – for Thrawn, he – he could care less. These are just like extra cargo. Just cut them and go, you know, he, yeah. one way or the other. And and kind of to your point from before about how we needed to see him be a little bit more ruthless. This is a great example of that uh, in the inverse, because we're we're seeing him talk about being ruthless. Yep. Do you know what I mean? There's a little yep. bit of a difference there. Like if we yep. saw him cut them loose, if we saw him acting these ways, but so far all we get in this episode is him talking about doing that. It's a great point. Uh, and it's a yeah, great point. That's, that's a, a big violation of the whole show. Don't tell. The, uh, he's got to get his hands there. a little dirty. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like we were saying, he's, he's the guy. He was Gus Fring until we saw Gus Fring do the dirty work. And then you go, yeah. oh, my gosh, like look what this guy is capable of doing. He won't do it all the time because he's smart. He covers yeah. his tracks. But like what he's what he does when he has to do it um, mm-hmm. uh, is scary. So Sabine, yeah. and it, go ahead. Yeah. Just his literal hands being there, like just in the figurative sense, like if he's ordering a guy to do something for him, but, but the thing needs to be carried out. We need to see the results of his actions. So far in this episode, we just see this hypothetical, him talking about what he's going to do when he, you know, gets to the right positions. Uh, he's going to take this guy out. And take that guy. Like, yeah, there's no us, actual action from him. And for, it's hard for us as viewers that don't know anything more about him than this, right. to take him more seriously than this. Exactly. That's all like, we have to go off of. That's all we have right now is Sabine finds her howler and it follows her and, and she tells it to leave, but it follows her and it whines and it whimper, it whimpers. So she says, okay, I know. Okay. I'll give you another. I was scared. It was great. It's funny when you're alone like this and you talk to your dog is what she's doing, Mm -hmm. you know, she's talking to the howler and asking it for help. So the howler is walking around and seems to have caught a scent, but Sabine Mm -hmm. doesn't see anything, just rocks all over. The howler sent like there's something there, and all of a sudden a rock jumps up, and yeah. here are our noti, these nomadic turtles. They have shells. <laughs> they they basically camouflage with the way that they like their shells are because yeah. they can go into their shells and look like they're rocks. So if there's any danger around, they ha- they have a protection and a, a place to hide. 
I mentioned they they have like a a Jiminy Cricket look to their bodies. I love that they yeah. have clothes on, like they have glasses. Some of them do, yeah. and like different um, different types of wardrobe. And man, I, I you know little creatures in Star Wars, you know they're coming. As a Sabine, yeah. I, I like their design too. Just to comment on that for a minute, uh, please. The, uh, and we we talked a little bit about the Howler and how. You know, it was like it was kind of a horse. It was kind of a uh, a wolf. It was also a little bit of like a rat or a bat in the face. Mm-hmm. I love the creature design. There's like familiar touchstones to all of them, but it's like a, a mashup of some really cool ones. So, like you said, turtle. I absolutely saw a turtle. That was my first thing. But I also was like seeing little bits of like the those like little roly poly bugs uh, or a hermit crab. Like I think that shell on the back might be something that's not actually attached to them since they have clothes on underneath it so it might be something that they, they find a shell and they, you know, they like use just one. for yeah just for protection yeah you know yeah so i thought that the design was really cool and it felt unique. not just cool but somewhat unique and plausible uh and familiar yes. unique uh, in all the right ways where it's like yeah this could be, have evolved somehow I, I see familiarities to what actually exists out in the universe um, Sabine's able to get the howler to calm down because, like any dog or you know animal, would be around other little creatures that all ramped yeah. up and trying to get them and licking them and trying right. to eat them. And um, finally, Sabine connects with these noti, and one of them notices the symbol on Sabine's jacket, and that's the same symbol that is on Ezra's jacket. So a bunch more of these noti all appear. They discuss among themselves, and they. Tell Sabine to follow them And um, I, I thought um, I really did like the fact that Just a little thing <clears throat> but I, I like it That Sabine mm-hmm. went back and thanked the Howler Said good job boy you know and she yeah. She didn't just walk off she said thank you because he Helped her find all of them and they had just a little Gives him a hug and they walk yeah. Off together and So Sabine has a little Help she's on the way to try To find Ezra as We check back in with Balin so he's tracking Sabine, Balin, and Shin, and they've seen some of her tracks. Shin asks Balin about Ezra. Did you know him? Bridger? No. He comes from a breed of broken of a broken a Jedi trained in the wild after the temple fell. He's like scoffing at him because he doesn't have official training, right? He didn't he wasn't trained at Juilliard, you know, in the in the actor's studio. So he's uh, he's not under the real he's not a real <laughs> Jedi. Um, and then he even tells Shin. No, he was trained as a Jedi. You're going to be trained to be something more. Mm. So this evolved Jedi, uh, maybe a Jedi that also knows some of the dark side, which a lot of the Jedi in the temple mm. and the Jedi on the uh, on the good side of the force didn't learn about the dark side quite often. And I actually liked a lot of the interaction with Shin and Balin in this episode. We didn't oh, – yeah. this felt like the first that times that we really got to know Shin. And I, I think you yeah. hit the – I think you hit on it. It almost feels mm-hmm. like they're setting her up to be a future member of this team without yeah. like a, a, an apprentice without a master. And maybe she team like aligns herself with Sabine, Ezra, Ahsoka, and that team going to do good. Cause she, you could, you could sense it with her here. Like she seems like this mm-hmm. kid looking for direction, looking to be um, led. She even asks yeah. Balin, like, you see a future in this wasteland. And mm-hmm. um, he tells her, yeah, you know, he missed the idea of what the Jedi was, but there was no future there. But in this kingdom, it was once great. 
and the existence of the great mothers com- confirm this. Perhaps they flee a power greater than their own. Something is calling to me. Can you hear it? Something is stirring here. Can you see it? The way he said that line, it gave yeah. me goosebumps when he was like, yeah. can you hear it? Something stirs. Can't you see it? And I could like see it when he, he asked me if <laughs> I could see it. I, I can see it. You know, I did yeah. see it there. It was beautifully said and like beautifully acted. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, Ray Stevenson, rest in peace. He really makes you believe every minute that he's on screen, every single moment uh, feels earned and authentic. Uh, and it's just such a shame that w- uh, we lost such a uh, an actor, such a force. I mean, anytime I, I've seen him uh, in, a, in a show or a movie, uh, he's always delivered it. And like, yeah, this is a perfect example of that. He shines above, I think, that the whole cast. And there's some great actors here. And I think he elevates the material, too, where, when the material... Uh, is a little bit lacking. Um, but uh, the stuff you touched on with Shin here, I thought, uh, uh, very well said. We see a little bit of her vulnerability, I think, in this episode. Yes, it's a great word. than we have up till this point. And I think that's, again, uh, and to your point, teeing her up for some sort of redemptive arc. That vulnerability uh, opens us as an audience to up. It opens us up to um, empathizing with her and seeing her as more than just a one-dimensional villain uh, now we see her as somebody who you know has concerns cares fears uh and somebody who can be perhaps reached uh and and it is is capable of redemption therefore so yeah I, I think it's uh these two characters are probably the most compelling yes uh, layers in the series so far they've really kind of stolen the show in a, in a small way as Shin gets ready to fight, they see some of those no the bandits around. Um, Balin lets her know, "Hey, no need for bloodshed. The enemy of our enemy is our friend for now. So never needing to fight, never needing to do any extra killing or or death, any of that stuff." As you check in with Sabine, she arrives at the Noti Commune. It looks like a little trailer park. Uh, they've got clothes. We see each one of them with their little trailers. They sleep in hammocks. And as she looks around from behind, she hears a voice. I knew I could count on you. And it's Ezra. And I, I'm conflicted and I have mixed feelings about <laughs> this because as I watch Rebels, I think they did a really good job like casting the character. He mm-hmm. looks and feels and like sounds like Ezra should coming out of that. And even like, the, yeah. like his tone and his sort of like he's got like a youthful exuberance to him. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I just there was something weird about this where first like you're gonna embrace first right like you're, there's like yeah. gotta be that run to you moment and then you have the jokey stuff you know what I mean but like there's that mm-hmm. moment when you see someone where first the emotion comes over you I don't like you're telling me yeah. that both they they like love each other they haven't seen each other they didn't know if each other were alive or dead and the first comment <laughs> was like a joke comment and then she yeah. makes another joke and there's like. A minute of joking back and forth. I don't know. That just felt really yeah. off to me. It was as fake as like uh, that cliche moment when two characters like meet and they pretend to to uh, to be about to face off, and then they do like the the the, oh, uh, yeah. the oh, and the embrace. Like yeah. it was it was it was so written that like you know, you know like when you see, I've seen I remember this time when an ex girlfriend. Uh, over over summer vacation, I'm with my ex-girlfriend and then uh, coming back to fall, 
she sees one of her best friends that she hadn't seen all summer. The way they embraced was about a million times more like uh, impactful and emotional uh, in my memory than anything that was on screen here. And it, like the stakes are so reversed, you know, like it just was not uh, realistic to how no. two people who have gone through so much would react. I mean, there would literally be like shaking and crying. Crying and, and, at least and like party. a kiss on the forehead, then a hug, then yeah. a kiss on the face, then like a, oh my God, you grab them again, you look at their face, you're here. Yeah. Like, it just How felt really hollow for two people that are supposed to love each other. I was like, yeah, they're and, instantly so witty. Like, how, I know. How lost for words. Lost for words is 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 more likely, uh, uh, you know, a, a symptom of of that. But just like that plucky, jokey, right away like that. Oh. I just that was my least Marvel? favorite part of this entire series. Yeah. No joke. It's the like the bad series. Marvel stuff where we where the characters, you know. Well, for the sake of a joke or a witty like one-liner or something, they'll completely undermine the stakes of the moment and the reality of it. And that's exactly what happened here. What should have been this huge culminating moment for the season felt fell flat. It just it fell did. flat. It did. And uh, and, and I, I didn't even I, like I what happened. It didn't bother me as much the second time. I know you've been uh, saying that yeah. a lot about this episode, but that's not an. That's like. That just means that like the blow was a little softened for us the time through. Like, it should have been more impactful. Like, it needed to be. This was a big moment, and then as she, you know, they hug, and it it's fine, but it just like that moment needed to be bigger. That moment yeah. just needed to be bigger with the two of them. And I don't like how right afterwards she just doesn't tell him anything that happened, and he's okay yeah. with it. He's like, wait, what happened and with the Empire? What happened after I left? Where are all the people? Did my sacrifice work? I've been gone for years. It at least worked, right? I, at least things happened, right? You didn't undo everything I did, right? Right? You know, like, right. I just... Oh, yeah. It would be an obsession. It would be a thing, like, you would get to quickly, and you'd be, like, you would need to know. What and like, happened? hey, we're like, where are like, where is it? What what is what's going on? Where were you? <laughs> I have so many questions. You're riding a howler, and she says, "Let's not talk about that right now." She changes the subject, and he goes, "Sabine," she goes, "I just want to be happy that I found you after all this time. Can't I have that?" That's it. He doesn't push back anymore. He just sacrificed Crazy. himself. He's been in a totally different galaxy for years now, yeah. and he's just okay with her saying like, "Oh well, no, I'm just here to visit." Like, what, what do you mean? Let's go. Let's get out of here right now. I want to go home. What are we doing? Like, why are we waiting here for another moment than we have to? I don't understand. Yeah. Ten years, man. Ten, like, I think that's how long it's been. Nine or ten years? Yeah. Talking about almost a decade. It's a big portion of your life right there. And the stakes that you left on couldn't be higher. We're talking life or death stuff. You're thinking you're never going to see these people again. Uh, that. You know, you don't know if they're dead on the other side or the fate of the galaxy, everything they were fighting for, all the people they know and love, dead or alive. I don't know. Like That's a huge just uh, question mark there that's going to be hanging over that moment. Uh, yeah, they got some – they have to talk through this a little bit more and, and more realistically. They don't, they don't seem to feel any normal no, emotions that this anyone not in these a situations real... would, would feel. This was not a real interaction that you would have with someone that you haven't seen for years, that you love, yeah. that you may have thought was dead, that sacrificed himself for you and others. This is not the reaction that Ezra would have back to someone like Sabine. It just, yeah. 
and they oh let's just pack up we're gonna move we're gonna move with the no t they move around what yeah like that was like it's, that that bothered the hell out of me it really did it's the writing too i mean it wasn't the, the actors sold the the lines as they were written right like they they gave they put a little something into it but you can't make that feel realistic it's just not a real the yeah it's, the interaction they could have react they could have done every possible thing in the world. It just never would have made sense with how yeah. those characters and their motivations to act like that in that time. It didn't make yeah. any sense. Final scene of this episode, TK. Um, the mothers and Thrawn and Morgan all talk, and they can sense another Jedi has arrived. And Thrawn asks, hmm, could it be the recently deceased Ahsoka Tano? Morgan says, impossible. Balin assured me of her death. But Thrawn says, I thought it was beyond you to underestimate a Jedi. After all, death and resurrection are common deceptions played out by both Night Sister and Jedi. And he was once a Jedi, so we must regard him as flawed. No, we shall consider Ahsoka Tano alive until we know otherwise, and we prepare accordingly. All the research he wants to know, her background, her history, her homeworld, her master, everything. And if there's a star whale that approaches... Destroy it with prejudice. <laughs> um, so Ahsoka is close. She's going to be there. So all of the, the the big players are on the board. I'm fine with where yeah. we're going to go. I think we just mm-hmm. hit on some of our main gripes on this episode. It's yeah. I don't have a problem with a lot of what happened. But that one thing at the end with, the, with Ezra and Sabine really did leave a sour taste in my mouth. That was my least favorite thing that's happened in the series so far. Yeah, same. I mean, I was a little bit underwhelmed by Thrawn, given how much he, they built him up. But there was still some stuff to chew on there with all stormtroopers and you know, like that really grand uh, entrance with his, you know, the starship. Uh, but this ending scene, yeah, it really took me out of it, and it almost like retroactively made me dislike the the season more so far. Um, and just in general, I'm thinking that so much of this series has been like executed so well from the makeup to the special effects to the acting it's just not quite making ends meet on the writing side of it uh, and i'm starting to look at feloni a little bit different like i think he really understands the world the themes the concepts you, you can sense uh, it of it's Lucas, a different the story beats it's not translated maybe he's more of an animation guy and it works better at that level uh and it's not and there's a little bit of growing pains in translating it to this medium here, but the best episode was the one that was directed by um, Peter Ramsey, uh, the, the Spider-Verse director. Uh, and I think he put a lot into it. He, he really made that a charged episode uh, and brought a lot of it out in the editing and the, uh, the direction of it. Uh, I think some of these other episodes, if they don't have as skilled of a director, uh, they're, they're, it's really sinking to the level of the writing. And the writing's always going to be the thing that, you know, kind of uh, make something successful or, or brings it down. I mean, it's one of the things that's very hard to overcome uh, faults in the writing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just think that there's just not enough there there. You know, there, on, on paper, there's some interesting stuff. We met these characters who we were they leading yada yada this a few whole things. thing. You yeah, know, with, there's just with these characters the, and... We didn't. It was the opposite of why we connected with Sabine and Ahsoka. We were through a lot of their journey together, right? We didn't get that yet with Ron and Ezra. 
And so it's hard for us to feel the importance of those characters. Yeah. Whether it's and pacing, pacing too. I, I gotta say, I think pacing. something about pacing, timing and pacing. Uh, I think some of these episodes you could take 15 minutes out of them, uh, and they would they would flow a little better in a way. And then maybe a few spots we just needed to add a couple more uh, things, just a moment or two. Uh, but a lot of it, like we we spend a lot of time just kind of like docking or, or landing somewhere and you know occasionally that's worthwhile i mean when thrawn arrived i really loved all the build-up in the shots of, of those ships landing um but some of the other stuff you know we need more substance with him. yeah we need yeah. more substance with him instead of a lot of pomp and circumstance and not enough meat on the bones yeah. there whether it be positive whether it be negative, it's been generally positive for this series. We're going to be here with you each and every like week. Yeah. Two more to come. Ahsoka Part 7 and 8 will be here with you the next few weeks. Tim Kelly is here with us each and every week at Tim is not funny. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. TK, my friend, thank you so much, buddy. Looking forward to uh, talking you. with you again next week, my friend. Same. Can't wait. Uh, Falcons at Lions. Your Lions are a three and a half point favorite here. They're now one and one after an overtime loss to Seattle last week. The Falcons two and zero. Oh. Nice win for them last week. So the Falcons, they should have won that. It, they should have won that game by more. Uh, they did have a couple dropped interceptions that Ritter had. That one of them should have been a pick six. There was probably two, maybe even three of them. But I sent you a text during the game, and I felt. As the game was going on, as someone who has backed the Falcons in a lot of season-wide stuff, I felt a lot better about how Arthur Smith was sort of taken off the kid gloves little by little with Ritter. And then mm-hmm. they they got sort of forced to have to. They were down by 12. So then they're they in a situation where they have to throw the ball a little bit. They have to get a little more aggressive. And I, I liked what I saw from him. He seemed to get a little pumped up on the sideline too. And sometimes you need that. You need You need moments where you kind of, have a breakthrough performance or you have a couple big plays and it starts to build your confidence. That's what it is for probably a guy like Ritter and some of these young quarterbacks. It's confidence. He's not being asked to do too much. So he doesn't have a whole lot of opportunity. He'll get a couple passes. He'll miss one or two. And then it probably sits in his head. And now that I think this could be a big week, that could have been a big week for him. I mean, they really dominated that box score. They had 10 more first downs in Green Bay. They ran 31 more total plays, almost double the total yards of the Packers, 446 to 224. Both teams had 10 drives. Atlanta had 5.7 yards per play. The Packers had 4.8. They won the time of possession by almost 13 minutes, more than 12 and a half minutes. They were just running the ball, 211 yards rushing on 45 yards attempt, 4.7 yards per rush. Reason why they didn't blow them out earlier, they were just two of five in the red zone. And Ritter did have a couple awful passes. Cup mentioned the dropped interceptions. One would have been a pick six. And then Mac Hollins was a little unlucky. There was one play, I thought it was a touchdown, Eric, where he had the toes in. And then it looked like he came down on the heels. It was really close. They overturned it. And then after that, another catch that he had that would have been a first down on a big third down sort of bobbled. So there were two big plays that swung the the Packers way and if they go the Falcons way it's definitely a different game in the scoreboard this is the first time Atlanta has won their first two games since 2017 they haven't even started 2-0 in six years and here they are but the schedule sort of looked like it and for as much as you do you do not want to draft a running back early if you do you better make sure they are like Bijan 
my my son Milo loves saying it with me when I'm at, when I'm here and I've got him on a few of my fantasy teams and Eric, since you and I are a little high on the Falcons this year, well, I'm watching the Falcons on Sunday. Anytime he gets the ball and does something good, I'll scream Bijan. And then Milo will scream it with me. Cause he, he just thinks it's great. So he'll be watching it now. Now he pops it up a few times. It's, it's kind of cool. So man, this guy's a stud. He had 19 carries, 124 yards, 6.5 yards per carry, uh, 172 scrimmage yards. Cause he had four catches he picked up a big first down late on a third and three uh, on the drive where they went on to kick the game-winning field goal. He's seventh in the league in success rate as an individual runner, uh, third in rushing yards over expectation per attempt, second in overall rushing yards over expectation. Uh, just awesome. Second in overall rushing yards, fourth in yards for scrimmage, averaging 6.2 yards per carry. He had multiple runs of 10 yards for the second week in a row. And he's the target rate leader among running backs, just what you want from a guy that you're going to pick high. If you spend a pick on this guy, use him. And they did this week and he helped them win the game with, with some big plays here and there. And the defense, just like you had pointed out, Eric, they were much improved. The scheme was going to be better. They made a lot of uh, acquisitions in the off season in the fourth quarter. They did not allow the Packers to get one first down in the fourth yeah. quarter, three drives didn't pick up a first down. And overall, the Packers only had 224 total yards and 17 first downs. They only allowed 84 yards rushing on 24 rushing att- uh, 21 rushing attempts, so four yards per rush. And they just got to clean up some of the penalties. They had two awful pass interference penalties. And so overall, I think they had six penalties for like 119 yards. I talked a lot about the Falcons side. Now we can kind of lean over to the Lions side here on your Lions who, God, that felt like an old Lions loss, didn't it, too? Just I mean, another one. Kind of, I mean, they're kind of set up to fail. I mean, yeah, they were. I don't, I don't want to use the term set up to fail, but but I mean that I mean I sniffed that line out. You I, did, uh, you could tell. And then and then from a more more than the movement and maybe them being coming off the big win early on, just looking at what happened during the game, like late in the game, they're without two offensive linemen. Another one, one of them has to shift over. That and that happens right before Goff throws the interception, which is the yeah. pick six two turnovers that end up leading to 14 points. You have three turnovers there in the game. And that's honestly the difference in the game. And then you don't even get a chance in overtime. And Hutchinson, it looked like he was held in the last play, you know, is what it is. Bottom line, little little things, you know, I talked about a Tuesday night on my show. Lions are just end of the day. Lions just effed up the draft. They had a, they had a chance to draft Carter or Wilson pairing with Hutch, two young guys on rookie deals. For whatever reason, they felt they needed to trade DeAndre Swift. I know Swift and Deuce Staley didn't get along, but Deuce is no longer in the building. And then you could draft Gibbs. You can't even. And they don't. And they don't want to use him, Eric, in between the tackles. You can just see, even once Montgomery left, they don't. And it maybe because they don't want to get him banged up. Whatever he had nine targets, but like look at the difference in usage between him and Bijan. Right, a guy that they drafted high. They use him like a guy that they drafted high and want to make a difference in the game, and you don't do that with him. You really got to question what Holmes did. I really think the Lions kind of messed up what could have been. They're insanely banged up. Montgomery, Thigh, uh, St. Brown, Turfco, Decker, Vitae on the O-line, Mosley with his hamstring in the back, Kirby in the back, Gardner um, – what's his name? Gardner Johnson. He's um, – 
he went on the IR for a torn pack. He could be out for the year. He's probably out for the year. Houston on the IR. Pascal on the IR. They're just insanely banged up. You talked about the Falcons. The main thing that stood out for me for the Falcons is they averaged 7.12 yards per pass attempt, 4.69 per carry. Per PFF, the Falcons have the best O-line defensive line matchup. Brown has a great matchup working in the slot, but if he can't go because of that turf coat, that's going to really limit the offensive production because the Lions funnel everything into the middle. Um, but at the end of the day, numbers-wise, how I look at this, when this opened up, this opened up at five, which is an absorbent amount of points in my eyes. Oh, yeah. And this has moved all the way down to three, three and a half. I just kind of feel like it's you didn't you know get it mean? before it's here if, if you missed the, the number before yeah. here but as crazy as it sounds you're almost on the lions if it hits if three the three i'm it would be the lions based on just the number i'm gonna be on the lions just sorely just kind of based on the number one thing to remember is and this is just the way it is with some people someone do some some guys do really good at home really bad on the road ritter Never lost a home game in college or and in the in NFL. NFL. So maybe maybe that's just kind of you know how how Ritter is. Um, I don't I don't know. We'll see. You know, Detroit. If this gets to three, look, I'm definitely going to be on Detroit. I wish I had like some anical reason to be it, but no. Just but it's two and a half, two and a half points, two points, two full yeah. points, and getting to a key number, getting back down to a one possession game. Because now, it, now we would get to the point where if it's just three, we'd get to the point where Atlanta's getting a little overvalued because this should probably be a little like more than just the three. That it should have started close to this right now, three and a half or four, right? But yeah. since it's moved so much, we've already gotten the value on it now, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the Falcons this year, but this is a stay away one for me because I think the, the Lions will bounce back and play well in here. Let's move along, Eric. We keep rolling. Next game on the slate for us to discuss, Bills at the Commanders. We have the Bills as a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road here. They bounced back nicely last week against the Raiders. The Commanders, they were down 21-3, to and they had a really good second half. I got to say... Sam Howell threw one of the best passes that you'll see this year. It was a 30-yard dart to Terry Mack, and he finished 27 of 39 for 299 yards and two touchdowns. He's the first quarterback for this franchise to win their first three career starts since at least 1950. That, is, that to me is insane. Um, they gained 90 yards on their first 20 plays of the game. Just terrible. Couldn't get anything going. Then they go nine plays, 49 yards. They score a touchdown on fourth and goal late in the first half. And it's like that sort of sparked it for them. They scored three touchdown drives in the second half. Um, Young returned to the defensive line again, helped them step up when the team needed it. They had six sacks overall in the game, did the line. Uh, The defense has now forced four turnovers in two games. You pointed out in, I think, both games and before the year that Brian Robinson was the running back you wanted. He had 87 rushing yards, two touchdowns. He caught two passes for 42 yards. It was great to see them involved in the screen game. Heck, they came back and won a game even when they missed two field goals. And the game looked closer late because the Broncos had a Hail Mary and they got a chance to try to tie that game. 
Uh, the Bills, if you are a fan of how the Bills, bad was that call? like, how could you not call PI on that? Oh, on the on the oh my gosh, oh my god, that, that was, was hands down. That was the no matter what side you backed, that was unbelievable. I mean, that's that was just absolutely insane because he didn't even touch the ball, not at all. There was no attempt for it at all, just awful. Um, flip side for the Bills. They looked a lot more like a well-rounded team last week. And Eric, for them, they're going to have to have games like this where they ran the ball 35 times, 183 yards, and only three of those for seven yards was from Josh Allen. Can't have all the bumps and bruises week in, week out. They leaned on James Cook, 17 carries, 123 yards, 7.2 yards per carry. Also had 36 yards receiving. I mean, they dominated the Raiders from the second quarter on more than double first downs. They ran more than 35 plays. They had over 200 more total yards than the Raiders. They held the ball for more than 40 minutes of the game, and the Raiders didn't even have it for 20. Uh, They had long touchdown drives, 11 plays, 15 plays. They hit nine different receivers. I just, from a gambling standpoint, I'm not laying the number with the Bills. You've got Washington, who's played pretty well, and they have a good defense, and they're plus about a touchdown at home. That would be the only way I'm playing this game. I I don't know if I'm going to officially lean on it because this does look like the type of game that I could see money going on the Bills as we get later in the week. So um, I'm not laying it with the Bills. I would play Washington in this game, but I I haven't locked it in or anything yet. Talk to us about this one, Eric. Uh, Allen spread six or more, 59%. Seven or more, 70. Oh, sorry, 60.9%. I think the main thing for this is I still really don't trust this Bills defense with no Von Miller. I need yep. Von Miller back there before I really want to get invested in the Bills just because I really think them having a pass rush is really going to do everything. Uh, the enemy, credit where credit is due. Their offense has played way better, right? See the issues that the Chiefs are having, and you see how good Washington has looked offensively. You kind of start thinking maybe the enemy was a little bit more involved yep. than what was being let on, and I think this is great for him because he got out of Andy Reid's shadow. Uh, I don't know. My football thinking is this: What gives the Commanders the best shot to stay within the number? Sam Howell staying back there and looking to pick apart the Bills' secondary, which is good when healthy, or as this is going to sound crazy having to rush more because Von Miller is pressuring him. So does Von Miller not be there, help the bills because it forces Howell to be a drop back passer and not use his legs. We saw in the game against Denver, he was able to extend his legs and everything. Um, I'm a little worried about the slow starting offense though. They really didn't get it going to the second half of the game. Obviously you can't like a team like the Broncos, you can spot them points and be yeah, behind. That's not like, gonna work every week. You can't no. get behind. No. Also I'm a little bit worried, like with the Broncos do run that Y9 system, which I've talked about before, which is easy to run on. That led to what Robinson had. Um, Bills don't run that. I think they're gonna struggle a little bit running the ball. Um, I'm a little worried about getting Samuel and Dotson, getting those guys around involved Howell tends to lock in on one guy doesn't scan the field I don't know this is a game is just a pass for me I really don't want anything to do on either side um I know I generally like to take home dogs in this spot but I just can't I, I want to can't and I, I'll wait and see if it can be seven or over and that would that would definitely entice me uh, a bit more 
Probably can't say that about this next one, unfortunately. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be on the Dolphins. Mo- I'm gonna be on the Broncos most likely in this game against the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins are a six and a half point favorite in this one, over under forty eight and a half. Tua is five and zero oh against Belichick. Only quarterbacks undefeated against Belichick with multiple games are Elway, Plumber, and they should have lost that game. Like, oh, I know they, uh, they, they should have lost that game. And he's currently the favorite in the MVP. Uh, I will say. He is the number one graded quarterback. He has eight big-time throws, two turnover-worthy plays in his two games. It's the first time they're 2-0 since 2001. What was what I like? What you like to see is I agree with you. I don't think I think they definitely had a couple different things that could have happened where they should have lost that game. They found a way to win, which is nice because that was a game that I thought they would have lost, or I thought they could have lost, and. I'm getting more impressed with Coach Mike McDaniel when he has his full team because this game they took uh, Belichick took away Tyreek Hill, so they just leaned on the run a little bit more. And Mostert was was very good here. Uh, Hill only had 40 yards, and so they've shown different dimensions now. Mostert had 18 carries, 120 yard, 21 yards, two touchdowns. Waddle's health is a concern here. Defense played a little better this week. They had four sacks, forced two turnovers. Patriots only had 88 yards rushing. And remember, Miami gave up 233 last week. Patriots only averaged four yards per play. That that stop on fourth down when the guard just needed to get up, what, six inches more, Eric or so, to pick up the first. So this was a tight game back and forth. Keep in mind, if, uh, or if, I mean, Miami had the game early and this got tight. It got tight late. I think it was a little bit closer than it, it may have looked. Uh, if you're just sort of looking at the score, even if you're watching the game and you start dive into the, some of the advanced and analytics stuff, Coach Mike McDaniel has struggled with his challenges, though. Just one of six since last season. Talk to us about what you see in this game, Eric. So the thing that stands out to me is this. A couple things. Um, buying low, selling high. Week three, teams that are 0-2 straight up, which the Broncos are, and 0-2 ATS, are 63 and 42, that's 60% ATS. When same situation, 0-2, ATS, that are dogs, 50 and 29, 63.3%. When there are dogs on the road, it's 34 and 17, 66.7%. There's another one. Teams that are 0-2 ATS, 0-2 record, playing a team that's 2-0 ATS and 2-0 um in their record, the dog is 59% ATS in those matchups in week three. That's just kind of the buying low, selling high thing on this. And, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, you mentioned it with the 49ers, just kind of bounces going their way kind of stuff, like being lucky versus unlucky. Let's, let's use that term. Let's look at the Broncos. Broncos lost week one because Will Lutz, who's historically been a great kicker, kicking in a kicker-friendly stadium, misses an extra point and misses a field goal. Then they lose week two up, what, 21 points, and then had a Hail Mary to tie it up, and the P.I. wasn't called. There could easily be a world where the Broncos are sitting at 2-0. Well, this is the first head coach since 1933 to lose each of his first two games with a new team by two points or less. It just doesn't happen. And then the flip side, let's let's look at the Dolphins. Dolphins easily could have lost that game against the um, they could the Chargers. That game just came back down. Whoever Chargers had the ball with a chance, and 
I really think this thing that stood out to me was this New England had six drives into dolphins territory and came away with just three points and six and those six drives. I mean, they were able to move the ball on them. Finn's defense hasn't been that great. Opponents have traveled inside the red zone seven times. They've scored touchdowns in six of those seven possessions. And um, what's been the most surprising yeah. to me, Eric, just about the, the Broncos is their offense has been very good. Their offense is number seven in, in DVOA. And Russ had a excellent first half. He had the second half. He wasn't quite as good, but he was good in week one. He's not really been the problem. Their defense was really bad in this game. And historically they've had a very, very good defense. They went from up 21, three to down 35, 24, this was the second week in a row where Kareem Jackson had a dumb penalty where he had a, a necessary roughness hit and he gets ejected. That is, I would say, I would say dirty penalty. I would say, right. Dumb penalty. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I would say dirty penalty. Just inexcusable. You know, when you're trying to win games and like you're, you're, it's just dirty. Doesn't make sense. And now, you're, this team isn't as bad as their record would suggest, but the buzz is, oh my gosh, Sean Payton's here. They Even last year, they were one and one. This was the biggest, I heard, I saw this one, the largest blown lead in Russell Wilson's career. I didn't realize he was the, on defense, you know? Yeah. He bl- said Russell Wilson blew an 18-point lead. Um, he also had six carries in that game. He had 300 yards passing. He led the team in rushing with 56 yards rushing. He had a couple big plays. But they took a lot of sacks, too. He had six sacks, uh, and he's now tied for the most with 17 games in his career with six-plus sacks. They were only two of four in the red zone. They have now lost nine straight games when they've led at halftime. Which is brutal. Um, I like him, though, in this spot. And just looking at the Dolphins' defense, Howard and Apple have graded out bad. We saw... Marvin Mims finally got on the field more. I think we're going to see a lot more three wide receiver sets with Mims, um, Sutton, and Judy. Javante Williams is getting more and more in shape. Wilson, historically good as a dog, 31 and 15, 68% ATS with the Broncos. He is six and two as a dog. Payton, one of the better coaches as a dog, 46, 29 and two. That's 61.3%. I just kind of feel like everything at the end unless you're the Minnesota Vikings of last year, evens out. I yeah. just think we're deep. And, and wait, we've seen the Minnesota Vikings from last year that it's evening it out this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I like, I like the Broncos here. Yeah. I wish I would have got the seven, but I still like it at six and a half. Me too. I'm fine at six and over. I'm still okay at, at, at six and over on the Broncos. Let's make that our first play this week so far through two weeks, uh, two, two and three, three and two for us. So uh, dead even as we move to week three, Broncos plus the six and a half for our first play. Eric, let's go next to where we headed next. Texans Jags. So the Jags are a nine and a half point favorite in this one over under is 44. Lawrence in that last game, the Jags were at an ugly game against the Chiefs. That's what worries me about this number, Eric. But what's hard is that the counter is the Texans had four missing offensive linemen last week. It, when you're without four missing um, offensive linemen, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot offensively. We can see they can't run the ball. I thought Stroud actually looked pretty good dealing with that. 
Um, and, and so I, I mean, the part of me does not want the Jags or does not think the Jags should be laying this number against anyone. But then on the flip side, I'm really, really worried about this offensive line with the Texans. I'm going to wait a little bit. If this floats up to double digits, that's where I probably get in. Stroud got hit nine times, sacked six times. One of them caused him to lose a fumble, which set up an easy touchdown. Um, He's dropped back 116 times in two games. They just have to find a way to run the ball more. That's just not going to go well for you when you don't have an offensive line like this and this guy's dropping back. He's going to continue to get hit. They were only one of four in the red zone. You and I were texting a little bit about it early. There were some head scratching stuff and scheme stuff um, defensively and even a couple questions offensively from Ryan's. I thought they looked a lot better in the second half. They almost came back in that game too. They just can't, can't run the ball at all. 26 carries for 52 yards. Uh, a couple things for the Jags. Lawrence was 0 for 7 in goal to go throwing. That's the most incompletions in a goal-to-go throwing situation in a game since 2005. And their offensive line is really struggling. On the Jags' side, too. It's not like it's going to be great for them. They allowed pressure on 25% of dropbacks. They allowed three sacks. They had um, 18 total first downs on 11 drives. They couldn't score a touchdown in a game where they had first and goal from the one. They turned it over on downs twice, ended up going 0 of 3 on scoring downs and the scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, just 271 total yards, only 4.2 yards per play. They were even given three points after Kansas City muffed a punt return. Yep. This nine point total was the second fewest they've scored with Peterson. Uh, they overthrew a, pla- a pass in the end zone, a bad miss of Calvin Ridley in the back of the end zone. Christian Kirk dropped a third down pass. Agnew fumbled a lateral. And the the both of the lines are what's disappointing me about this team, Eric. They have they have talent on the defensive line, but they just aren't getting as many sacks as they should. They're not putting as much pressure on the quarterback as they should. Overall, that part of their team isn't being as impactful as it should be for them to take the next step. I'm definitely not laying this number with Jacksonville. I just I gotta see if I can get there with Houston. If I can get to the 10, then I will. I just I'm gonna need it with the problems they're dealing with. It's starting to go down, and some books is already down to eight. See, so um, yeah, we're not gonna get that. I took the nine and a half. I'm fine taking the nine and a half. Uh, divisional road dogs, just overall, doesn't matter the week. Fifteen four percent ATS divisional road dogs. Uh, the first three weeks of the season are fifty seven percent. When it's the first three weeks of the season, getting over seven, um, you know that's fifty eight percent. The same trend I mentioned earlier about 0-2 straight up, 0-2 ATS, 63 and 42. That's 60% ATS. We have to remember, what was the line when the Texans played the Ravens? It was this nine and a half. And I really don't think the Jaguars with the issues that they have are as good as the team right now as the Ravens are. And we got to remember this when we're looking at the lines because if the line is set like that, that's basically what the sports book is telling you. Um, also with the Jags, I think the key thing we need to remember is how poorly their offensive line has been. Yeah. Robinson is suspended. And Harrison, the rookie from Oklahoma, is one of the worst rated offensive tackles in the league right now. If Ryan, I, I'm going to believe the hype with Ryan. I'm going to believe that he is this big defensive mastermind that everyone is talking about that he's going to be able to come up with a defensive game plan 
to exploit Harris on the line. Another thing that stood out to me when looking at cornerbacks, Texans have two of the three highest graded cornerbacks. Thomas and Nelson have had a great start to the season. I think those guys are going to be able to keep Ridley Jones, Kirk and crew kind of in check. I think I really like that. Also, has anyone else noticed Stroud is the fourth most passing yards in the, in the league? Yeah. Or being 0-2, he is getting the ball out. He is passing. He has- and they don't really have stud receivers either. Like, he's throwing Robert Woods, Nico Collins. You know, Woods had a pretty yeah, good game. Tank he's Del. been fantasy relevant. Um, Tank Dell. I just think. And then I look at it. Peterson historically hasn't been able to cover these big numbers. Anything When laying anything over three in his coaching career – He's only 41% against the number. I think this is just way too many points. We have to remember Jacksonville really doesn't have that big of a that that big of a um home oh field. Home field. And then when you look at their schedule, they're just coming off this game where they let's face it, they probably should have beaten the um the Chiefs. And next week you're going overseas. I mean, this is kind of a sleepy type spot. <laughs> Get up for that rematch playoff meet, rematch. Now you get a one o'clock game against the divisional dogs with the Texans. I'll take the Texans here. I bet them plus the nine and a half. Ravens versus the Colts. Ravens are a seven and a half point favorite at home. Over under in this one is 45. Lamar looked very good last week. It seemed like he got a lot more comfortable with that offense and just having Andrews around helped. He was 24 of 33, 237 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 54 rushing yards. It was his higher pa- highest passer rating since week two of last year. He finished graded quarterback number five on the week, two big-time throws, one of them an awesome deep pass to Flowers, another really nice one to Aguilar on third and 10, put him up uh, third down, and that put him up by 10. OBJ got hurt, so they used Nelson, Flowers, uh, or Nelson Aguilar, Flowers, Bateman, Andrews, all had some nice plays. He was very good when targeting receivers in the slot, was Lamar, they did this without six injured starters, a couple offensive linemen, couple in the secondary receiver running back punt coverage. They allowed an 81 yard punt return. So they got to be better there. Uh, on the Colts side, Richardson looked pretty good early, but the concerns you have with him is because he runs so much. He's primed to get banged up a little bit. And that's what has happened already in two games. He's come out twice, um, but he led two touchdown. Uh, he, he, played really well uh, and then Minshew came in he played really well he actually finished graded quarterback number four on the week he led two touchdown drives of 75 yards in the first half and he put the Colts up by 18 the one thing he can do if there are little openings he can hit he's an accurate passer Minshew like if you're just there with short stuff he's gonna hit you that's what he did in college he can throw the ball and hit his spots over and over he can just he just has a ceiling right but I've always been a little higher on Minshew than you have. Just he's not necessarily a starting quarterback in the NFL, but as far as backups are concerned, I think he's about as good as they as there are of like backups in the league. Um, and, and it was nice to see the Colts run the ball a little bit. Moss had 18 carries for 88 yards. Do you have a play in this one? Colts Ravens. I hate myself. I'm betting the Colts. It's like this is the week I have another quarterback coming up later that I absolutely despise that I'm betting on. I did the Colts here. I'm I'm on them plus the uh, plus the seven and a half. We 
need to talk about how there's eight players out for them. I mean, OBJ, um, two offensive linemen out. Two secondary. Two secondary out. There's just They're just way too banged up to be laying, you know, this big of a number. And we talk about it with Mahomes, who we'll get to, um, you know, who we'll get to a little bit later. Jackson is kind of morphing into a little Mahomes where he is covering as a small favorite, but when it comes to these bigger favorites, he's having a hard time covering 17 and 25, 40% home favorite, 11 and 18, 37.9%. I I think really think the big thing for me that's kind of sticking out and everything is the injuries to the offensive line for the, Ravens versus the Forrest Buckner and that defensive line of the Colts. Cause that's a very good defensive line. I think they're going to be able to create some havoc and get to Lamar. And I really haven't been that impressed. There's been one good throw I've seen to Zay, Zay flowers from Lamar Jackson this in two games. I think seven is just way too many points. I, I like, I like, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not laying, I'm not laying this. I'm, I'm thinking about in one of my two making this a survivor play because I've been looking through it and those three double-digit spreads this week, everybody's jumping on those teams. And I feel like one of those teams, like you, when you generally have that, like the Ravens this week are kind of a little undervalued as a survivor team. That's way different than laying them as seven-and-a-half-point favorites. I because 49ers and the Cowboys – and the Chiefs are the three teams that are taking the the bulk of the survivor money. I'm I'm not laying this with the Ravens. You hit the the nail on the head. They're too banged up to lay this type of a number at over a touchdown. I haven't made this a play yet, but I I'm on the Colts side as as I like a couple other games more. But I, I would definitely lean Colts on that one with you. Not not on the Ravens side there with all those injuries. Two teams that are zero and two, and that could very easily be 2-0 the way things have bounced for them. And it's uh, about a pick or so. The Vikings and the Chargers over-under in this game is 54, and it keeps going up, 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 up. So the Vikings, down three with 45 seconds left in the first half. They have the ball at the Eagles' 31. Big play to Jefferson. Looks like he scores a touchdown. Actually fumbles it through the end zone. So instead of going up by four, the Eagles get the ball. And they kick a 61-yard field goal. So that's a 10-point swing in the game right there within 45 seconds. Those are all of the things that went positive for the Vikings last year. They come right out of the half, and they surrender a touchdown on the opening drive of the third quarter. They have the worst fumble luck through a team's first two games since the 2003 St. Louis Rams. Last year, they had 10 total fumbles the entire regular season. So far, they've, they have six through their first two games. They had four different players fumble on Thursday. It's not like it's just a bad quarterback who's struggling or a bad running back. Like their best players are having bad moments at very crucial times. Yeah, the Jefferson fumble was right a killer. Just a killer. Offensive line is struggling. Bradbury out. Ingram's not playing well. Uh, Replacement got carted off with an injury. They have seven turnovers through the first two games, and those two games have been decided by nine points combined. Negative six on the turnover differential. Um but Jefferson and Cousins have been good. He's the first Jefferson's is the first player in 12 years to put up back-to-back 150-yard receiving games to open a season. In, in this game, 
He had 11 catches, nine first downs. Five of them went for 15 or more yards. Four of them were contested targets. And out of uh, he caught four of six contested targets. Cousins set the franchise record for 708 yards in the first two games of a season. And then we get to the Chargers, who is just almost laughable. The passing defense is so bad. Right, they they played the Titans last week and Ryan Tannehill. In week one, Tannehill was miserable, was so, so, so bad. He was ranked 28th overall by pro football focus. In week two, because of how bad the Chargers pass defense is, he was the number one quarterback on the week, Tannehill. The difference between week one to week two. The Titans didn't score more than 27 points last year. They hit 27 once. So it's the first time since 2013 that Tannehill has completed two passes of at least 45 air yards in a game. I don't know what the hell Brandon Staley is doing or what he is. They had a fourth and one on the Titans 44. They punted. There was a third and four where they ran the ball. They didn't even give Herbert a chance. He, on his first year, they went for it every time on fourth down. Literally, they were like your coach, Dan Campbell. He went for it every time. And then the ba- there it was backlash because it didn't work out for him. And so he flipped, and now he doesn't go for it at all in in situations when he really should. And that's the worst thing you can do as a coach. He has no identity anymore. Isn't he supposed to be a defensive coach? They're dead last in defensive DVOA. They're 26th in success rate. They're 30th in EPA per drive. Okay, Gino, it's only been two games. In the three years now since he's been here, two and plus, they're 28th in defensive EPA per drive and 28th in success rate. These are his guys now, right? He's got his roster, his scheme. They have a ton of talent. His scheme is supposed to prevent big plays. So it's from The Athletic. Quote, since Staley arrived, they've given up completions of 30-plus yards more than any team in the league. I just mentioned 75 yards and 49 yards to the Titans. The defense had three personal foul penalties. This is the first team in the Super Bowl era to score 50-plus points in their first two games, not have a single turnover, and lose both of those games. And it's amazing, Eric, because the offense will look really good. They're top five in success rate, DVOA, EPA per drive. But then in overtime, they go three and out. Last week, they couldn't score late against Miami. This week, they were two of 14 on third down. So they're awesome in a lot of the metrics, but then... When the game slows down or when they need to make a big play on third down or late in the game, they don't do it. A couple crazy Herbert stats, and I, I'm going off because I had the most notes of any team this week on the Chargers because of all the, the crap they had. Um, Herbert has is on the list of like the top 300-yard passing games in their first four seasons. He has 23 of them. In those games, the team is 12 and 11. So think about that. In games where he's been awesome and thrown for 300 yards, they've only won half of them, 12 and 11. Compare that to Mahomes. He's had 26 of those. They're 21 and 5 in those games. Uh, Kurt Warner, he had 26. They went 22 and 4 in those games. His team did. Marino, he had 22 of them. They went 16 and 6 in those games. And Herbert and the Chargers have gone 21 and or, 12 and 11 in his 23. He's lost 10 games where they've had a lead in the fourth quarter. Those are the most of any team since 2012. And he is only two and five in overtime games as the starter. This is the fourth consecutive game that they've lost where they've lost by one score dating back to last year, including the pay- the playoffs. 
maybe the deep, the the pass rush got a little bit better. They had five sacks. They put some pressure on the quarterback. They didn't move the ball at all on the ground without Eckler. Man, these two teams are perfect for each other. I want nothing to do with this game. Right? I literally I, want nothing, nothing to do with this game. And I've got the most notes about these two teams, and I'm completely in agreement with you. I can't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Uh, Vikings, obviously, you mentioned that. They're just going back. I mean, everything broke their way last year. They're just Everything just kind of evens out. Offensive line has not looked at that good. for Even though they lost the game, one thing that really stood out to me was this is the first game, granted, they only played two, where the Chargers' defensive line was able to create some havoc yep. and really get to Tannehill. Are they going to be able to continue that, and are they going to be able to get to Kirk Cousins? Because Cousins isn't the most slickest of foot. foot and they've got the us. offensive line issues there too, right? They've already got a couple no. guys out on the, on the Vikings. Yeah, they're banged up, and even if when they're healthy, they're not that good. Good, no. They traded for Acres today. I don't think Acres is going to be a factor just because the playbook and everything. I don't, even though it, it is kind of similar to McVay runs, I'm not going to expect that much from him. The one thing for me, though, is in terms of DFS, I think you have two ways of doing this. You can either go a Cousins stack with a Keenan Allen stack just because Minnesota's DBs are just so bad. We're going to be able to take advantage of them every single week in DFS. Or you can flip it the other way, and you can go a Justin Herbert, but instead of going with Justin Jefferson, go with TJ Hawkinson. So, I mean, in terms of DFS, that's how I'd look at this game, just because there will be a high-scoring game. I want nothing to do with this. I just want to kind of lay back and see kind of what happens. I do think, though, if the Chargers lose, there's a high probability Staley could be fired. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if that happened early on as uh... – we move to the Pats Jets Patriots are a two and a half point favorite on the road here against the Jets. We've known the success that the Patriots have had against the Jets through the years, but this is the first time the Patriots actually started. zero and two at home since 1975 again, last week, first quarter drive ends with a fumble dolphins turn that into a touchdown. They have a great play. Fantastic special teams play where that dude blocked the field goal. He came around the side and he timed it. They get the ball in Miami territory. They couldn't score. Yeah. And they couldn't run the ball at all. They only had 88 yards rushing, 3.5 yards per carry. Miami allowed 233 yards the week before. So that offensive line with with some of the the issues they have and a couple missing pieces, they weren't great. Honestly, they just don't have any playmakers either, Eric. And this was something that we've known the last few years. They haven't gone out and made any good acquisitions for uh, game breakers, guys that are legitimately some of the fastest on the field. the They didn't have one play of more than 14 yards other than a Mac Jones scramble in yeah. that game. And now they're going to play a really good defense of the Jets that is really good at limiting big plays. And now the Jets are going to have to play a good defense here. Look at the over-under in this game. It's 37 because there's just no scoring expected in here. Wilson struggled against the Cowboys. He was graded quarterback number 31 on the week, a couple turnover worthy plays. Yeah. He had a few fine moments, but you just know he's not the guy when you're watching it and they can't run the ball at all because teams are going to stack the box. All three backs combined for around 24 yards on 10 carries with a fumble. It, and now from a fantasy standpoint, you got three different backs getting involved and the defense was a little disappointing in particular, the secondary, they allowed lamb to go nuts in that game 
he had 11 catches and he was running wild. It was a little more zone where he was sort of hitting them. And there's six possessions in the second half. The Jets went three and out, two plays fumble, three and out um, to start. It was, yeah, I mean, that was an ugly game for them. I, I'm not playing the Patriots and laying the number. I would lean to the Jets. I just don't know if I can get there here. I need it to be at a field goal or over. And I, I'm not sure if we're going to get that. Um, Obviously, Belichick has owned Wilson here. Home dog is usually my spot here. But we got to kind of see. Like, Sauce Gardner, like, deleted his twi- Twitter account. They're like, already complaining. It's been bad, I know. Only about getting four carries in the game. Um, Pats still have some offensive line issues. That's a little worrisome for me. Um, but when you look at teams that are just due for some positive regression, the past, I mean, it's the, the Pat, there's three teams that have been the most unluckiest and the Pats are one of them. Pats are due for some, you could probably make an argument. They've been the most unluckiest team. When you look at the start of the game against the Eagles and the start of the game against the Dolphins and getting the ball in Dolphins territory six times, only coming away with three points. Mac Jones has looked better. Hunter Henry and him obviously have a connection. I really, I don't know. I I, I never lay points. I'm just going to sit back. I don't want anything to do with this game. Me if too. I didn't have to bet it, if I was forced to bet it, as crazy as it sounds, I think I would take the pass just because I think there's a lot of locker room issues going on with the Jets. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to touch it at all. Let's move to the next game. We've got the Saints at the Packers. Packers are a two-point favorite in this one. Um, kind of tough for me to take some of what I saw out of that Packers game against the Falcons because they were without Aaron Jones. They were without Watson and offensive lineman Bakhtiari. They also left had an injury to their left guard, Jenkins. Um, there's a couple dropped interceptions that they could have had. They blew a 12-point lead, but then late in the game, they stagnated. Things sort of evened out for them. Um, they had a couple huge inter- pass interference penalties, big chunk plays. With my eyes, it's telling me Love's playing pretty well. He also had an interception that was dropped. He's not graded great based on a lot of some of the, the metrics I'm looking at too, but I think he's looked fine. Um, for the Saints, I don't really know what to take of this team right now. Their offense has not looked fantastic. Defensively, they're very, very good. Um, there was one stat I wanted to point out, and then I'll uh, I'll toss it over to you, Eric. The Saints, I believe, had a really cool statistic. I think it's been twenty. Uh, go ahead, I'm going to find the 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 stat I have on the Saints. But talk to us about this one, Eric. I I can't really get a feel for this, especially based on not knowing a little bit more. What's your sense of like Aaron Jones and Watson this week? Uh, Watson practice. Jones did not today. I think both of them go. Even if Jones doesn't go, I still like the Packers here. I gave this one out on my show. I got it at minus one and a half. LaFleur is 21 and 11 ATS at home, 65%. As a favorite, 19 and 11, 63.3%. And the thing that I'm looking at the active coaches, LaFleur is the fourth most profitable coach in the league against the spread. Allen, historically, as a dog, he's really struggled. Only 42.5%. He's one of the least most profitable coaches, ATS, as a dog. And then when you kind of look at, and we saw it Monday night, when you look at Carr's splits, great at home, bad on the road, more interceptions, 
less um, completion percentage. He really does struggle. And the weakness for this Packers defense is what? Stopping the run. No Kamara. Jamar really? Williams is out. It's out. So now you're get down to Miller, the rookie from TCU, hasn't played. He's still recovering. Are you going to rely on Jones, who really hasn't shown he can be an every down back? I just don't think the way you can exploit – They're built. Yeah. To attack the Packers, the Saints are going to be able to take advantage of it. And then you look at the Saints. I know they're 2-0. and oh. I can make an argument if Tannehill or – Oh, Brian my God. They should have lost week one for sure. You know what I mean? Were any capable – I will say this. I think if Andy Dalton plays – Panthers win that game on Monday. Night. Sure. Sure. Um, I just kind of feel they've been very lucky with the quarterbacks that they have played against the um, Titans. They gave up 4.73 yards per carry against the Panthers on Monday night, five, five yards per carry. Packers are going to be able to run the ball with AJ Dillon. They're going to be able to run the ball with Aaron Jones. Assuming he plays, I think he's going to play. That's going to be able to open up the passing game. Plus, you're getting Curtis Watson, Christian Watson back. The field extender, you got Reed and Dobbs working underneath the middle. I just think they're going to use the running game to open up the passing game. And the weakness of the Packers, you want to bet against the Packers when they play a team with an elite rushing game. I don't yeah, think this isn't that team. I don't think the Saints are in the market because of you look at their defensive analytics. They've allowed 20, uh, 21 points or less in 10 straight games. That's a big stat that's been floating around. Um, they're pretty good on the road, too. I think I saw they're the best road team in the NFC since 2018. They're 29 and 12. This isn't that same team that have a lot of those metrics. And this, again, I, I, I'm with you. I'm on the side of the Packers, and we can probably make this one of our five plays of the week here. Eric, uh, let's go to the Titans and the Browns. I bet I know if I bet I know which side of this game you're on, and see, folks, I, I folks, see here. Are you are you gonna do it or no? Are you gonna do it? So he, this is the thing that that I looked at. Okay, Vrabel as a dog, we all know it. Sixty two and a half percent at three or less. This is we're starting to see some threes and two and a half pop in the market with Chubb. So when you get that three, that's fifty three percent ATS. But when it gets below the three. That drops all the way to 25%. Oh, yeah. I would I wouldn't play it right now, but as we look at this line right this second at DRF Sportsbook at three and a half, I I punched it already on the Titans, and I would and definitely play it there. The thing, do you know how many drives the Browns defense has allowed in their red zone? Well, the Steelers didn't run a play in the red zone in the entire game. They have yet to allow an offense to have a play in the red zone two games deep. With the and Steelers the thing and the Bengals so far. Out of my mind is how much the Chargers defensive line just completely manhandled the Titans offensive line. Loud five sacks. Two of them and were kind I, of bad communication. Like, just, and you see everyone's like we're dedicating this to Chubb and we've seen this in all these sporting these sports when the star, the player that rallies the locker room, when he gets hurt, it's that first game back that's kind of the quote-unquote rah-rah spot, the get-right spot. Titans are very good against the run. 
you know, you have Ford, but they're really bad against the, the pass. You got Cooper, you got Elijah Moore. You got the only, the only thing that worries me though, I got to say as someone who wanted the Browns to be good this year, man, there is not much more time for Watson to like Watson start looks, figuring it out. Watson looks awful. Just but, horrible. He was 30. He's graded when, 39. And the thing that he's doing is he's like Justin Fields light. He's taking more sacks than Baker Mayfield ever did. And that was a complaint against Baker when he was there that he took too many sacks or holding the ball. He's be, he's got a great offensive line, even with the issue they have now with Conklin out and he's still running into it. That's the only thing that worries me. Sort of what you're saying. Can they exploit, can he exploit the secondary of, you know, of the Titans enough for it to matter at over three and can they do right? Browns. And yeah. I mean, like you look at it, Browns have been unlucky this year. Browns are another team that haven't been really able to get that much stuff going. You they know, had 14 in that last game, they had 14 possessions in the game and scored two touchdowns. I that's what's hard for me at three and a half. I'm Titans because I think this game to me just smells like it's a tight game for sort of the reasons why we're kind of going back and forth at three. I'd still be okay playing Titans. As soon as it moved under a field goal, I don't play either side. I'm I stay yeah, away. If it's a two and a half, I'm on the You're Browns. You're on the Browns. Yeah. At three and a half, I don't know. Like I just I just know how sports are and like the rah rah stuff. Oh yeah, the narrative y stuff is is there. I'm just, just like the the game stuff concerns me. The Browns have not allowed a team inside their 20 and they lost on Monday night football because of a pick six and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. The, my only counter to that would be Matt Canada had his, I believe, 39th straight game where they haven't had uh, 400 yards of total offense. You know, that offense is miserable, and they played the week one against the Bengals offense that came back and didn't look great again against the Ravens. So that's sort of my whole problem with, with this game as you're hitting is like, I want it to be three or, or if it's over, I'm on the Titans here. This might be one of the few games where we're slightly on different sides or kind of feel a little different, but I think we both are sort of knocking both sides. I, I don't know if short, you know, short week for Cleveland too, coming off the Monday night game, they got to implement new runners. Um, and, oh, this is going to be Ford's backfield. I know everyone's. Yeah. No, and know, I agree with you. He's good. And you're not going to just bring him in right away. Drafted. He was drafted to be Chubb's replacement. Chubb wasn't going to be signing there. He was, he was drafted to take over. To for take the job. spot. Yep. So I just, I think they're just going to give him the keys to the castle a little weird, bit early. And weird Watson you know, stuff on uh, social media too. Like there's like a burner out there. His, his like individual coaches are, def- he's just already starting to feel the panic because the Browns fans are going, what did we give up a lot for you? And you got to be looking better than this. Uh, but they, they're one and one could easily be two and oh, and we'll see if they can make it two and one. This week, uh, Panthers is our next game. Eric, they're a six-point dog on the road at Seattle. Over-under in this game is 42. Bryce Young's 4.2 yards per attempt is the third lowest yards per attempt in history for a quarterback in their first two games. Now he's dealing with an ankle injury. He sat out practice on Wednesday. The offensive line is bad, and the wide receivers are not good. On the first... I I think... I my counter to that is Frank Wright is a fucking moron. Yeah, no, it's okay. You don't drop him much. Garrett, they, do, they have effects you have, when you do. You have Marshall, who's a physical specimen, and the first 
15 to 20 plays are always scripted. You're telling me Frank Wright was sitting in the locker room and just say, guys, we to get this game going, we need to target Adam, Adam Thielen. Well, and that's we what I was listening. 31-year-old, slow. Yeah, on the first three drives of the game, there were eight targets that Young had, five of them to Thielen and three to Sanders, the running back. That's, it's, that's it's, how his target started. It's just insane that you have this guy, Terrence Marshall. Like, I would – if the Lions trade for Terrence Marshall, I will literally do a backflip. Well, what you have with him is what why people wanted the Panthers to go get Hopkins. It's a big target that he's not going to beat you down the field as much, but he's at least a guy who can go up and fight for a ball and someone that Young can throw the ball to and just take a little pressure off him. They don't have that, and the one that they do have that fits that template – they don't, they're not running anything for him. The other guys, they're not fast enough to get open, and they're not physical enough, like you said, a guy like Marshall is. I just – and then you have the ball in the red zone. You don't even throw one jump ball to him. Not one. It just – Frank Wright is just a moron. It just amazes me how he's still in coaching. I also read this thing how Young's too small to even do a quarterback sneak. Yeah, he, they can't even. So they have to bring in Dalton. He looks very uncomfortable under center. You know, there's that play going around where he's not lining up under the center. Sanders had to push him over. Uh, but I'm a big trenches guy. And Seattle's banged up on the offensive line. Both tackles are going to be out for the game. Panthers actually played pretty good. well with despite that last week, better than I thought they would. But you're right. Like, I couldn't lay this number with Seattle um, at all at six. They. They sort of got the benefit of the doubt last week. We pointed out with some of those turnovers against Detroit. Gino played a lot better. That That's a positive, right? He played a lot better. He had that one really bad sack that he took, but then in overtime, he bounced back. I think he went six of seven on the opening drive. He hit some big passes. He ended up with 328 yards. He was graded number eight quarterback on the week. Um, they missed a couple field goals. I... I'm staying away because I want I want to be on the Panthers side, but everything you're pointing out too, I've not been high on Young coming into the year, and there's nothing that I've seen so far that makes me want to change my mind on that. Yeah, I just but I will say this looking at this. Do you trust Geno Smith to cover no. a big number? No, no, that's what I mean. I don't I will I'd but I don't, but on the flip side, I may not have to trust Geno Smith. It may be a defensive thing situation where Carolina just can't move the ball at all. Can't but score, turn the ball over. I, I wouldn't one, lay it with Seattle. I just, and this is just simple. Last year, the second worst team in the league defending the tight end, giving up the most yards per game was the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks are the worst team two games in defending the tight end. I'll look for some low Hayden Hurst props. So probably nice. be like Good call. 28. I'll kind of look there. That's going to be the only action that I want in this game. Yeah, he looked pretty good in week one also. I think you and I are both going to be in the same spot in this next game as we move to the Bears at the Chiefs. So first of all, like the stories going around. Now, I live in the Chicagoland area. The stories going around right now are absolutely insane. Like there's a story going around. Now, look. I don't even know if it's true or not. There's rumors going around that Alan Williams, their defensive coordinator, um, his house was raided by the FBI. Like, I don't like I I saw that on Twitter. I don't know if that's true. And for the FBI to raid your house, 
it's got to be some serious stuff. Um, the owner, McCaskey, has been at Hallis Hall. He usually goes there once a day, but he's staying there more, and he's starting to interact with the coaches more. You know what I mean? It's not like a typical thing. Yep. Um, you have Justin Fields saying that the coaches are making him think too much, and he's just going to go back to playing the way he used to, just kind of adapting. And this is a second high draft pick in a row. That's a quarterback that came out with a lot of tools that the Bears have kind of messed up. Messed up, yep. And the thing that really blows my mind is I'm a big Jim Caldwell guy. Caldwell showed up to that meeting with a multi-year plan of what he was going to do to develop Justin Fields. You don't and see – what's don't crazy is hire him. they're, they're not – don't hire him? Like, what are you doing? Um, They're not running it, – it's – Eric, they did the same exact thing last year at the beginning of the year when they tried to make him a passer and they realized, I mean, they didn't have very many weapons and they ended up designing a lot more runs, scripted runs for him. And then he was a lot better and the offense was a lot better. They're literally trying to make him a drop back passer. It does not make any sense. With a guy like this, you he had four carries for three yards. Where are the design runs? You let him run it a few times, and then what that does is it keeps the defense more honest. They feel like they have to be worried about that. It gives him more one-on-one situations, better routes with the receivers. Receivers get left open because guys start worrying about, oh, fields moving around. They, they come up a little bit. That's when he was able to hit bigger plays. I don't know why they're not doing that. It's like very simple stuff. This is a guy who... I will say everything that he said, I think is right. You could tell that he looks like he's in his head because he's running into sacks. Like there are open receivers that he's not hitting. I don't know whose fault really that is. Is it all him? Is it the coaching? Is it a combination? All that being said, they've been awful. They've been miserable on offense. He's been bad. Moody got hurt. They took six sacks. They've not completed one pass between 10 and 19 yards. Not one. I liked him this week. Kansas City still has some issues. Of the 96 games Mahomes has started, that was their worst ever success rate. The two games they've had this year, they have a lower success rate than they had any game last year. They had three turnovers in the first half. They only had 19 total first downs, um, 12 penalties in the game. Also, they have issues at the offensive line. One week after, that guy Taylor looked like he was getting off the line early. He picked up five penalties. He became the most penalized player in a single game in 23 years. They still have issues at wide receiver. Tony fumbled on a screen pass, and the receivers combined to fumble three times. Have the Bears been good? No. Is this number too big? Yes. I'm on the Bears. Yeah, I'm on the Bears too. Mahomes, 27, 35, and 1, 43% ATS, favorite of three or more. Home favorites, seven as a home favorite, seven or more. 41% ATS, double-digit favorite, 35%. Historically, Mahomes has showed he really doesn't cover these big numbers. We mentioned it with the enemy. Um, offense just doesn't look right. Chiefs just aren't clicking. It's not as crisp. Um, so I really think the enemy, like I said, did more than people realize. Mahomes' completion percentage is the lowest through two games it's been since he started. Uh, so that's something he's Mahomes isn't as Chris isn't getting the wide receivers. Um, and Eberfus is coaching for his job. You know, this is it for him. I expect them to open yeah. up the playbook. Uh, I expect them to go after DJ Moore. 
a little bit more, take advantage of some stuff that the issues that the Chiefs have going on. I got this at 13. I still like the 12 and a half, though. Arizona Cowboys. The Cowboys are a 12-point favorite on the road in here. Their defense has looked fantastic. I mean, they should not be a 12-point favorite on the road like this this early in the season. But, man, we saw with Arizona last week, they're up 20 to nothing at half, and then they just lay an egg in the second half. Uh, they had to punt three times in the fourth quarter. And they got to play San Francisco and Dallas in these next two games coming up. Arizona. I I could do it with the Bears. You know, Dobbs has actually looked better and more competent than people would have suggested. And Arizona's defense looked fine in the first half and in game one. I don't know if I can get there here, Eric. Could you get there with this one with Arizona? Guess who has the second best ATS percentage when laying seven points or more? McCarthy? Yeah. Yeah. Or Dak, he's great in this situation, huh? Yeah, he's just good. He covers like a machine, uh, and he beat he but... beats up he beats up on the bad teams. He's they've been they've done a good job with him because he hasn't had to do much. He's only got two touchdown passes, but no interceptions. He didn't have one game last year where he went back to back games without an interception, not one. Yeah, I just I just I don't know. Like I'm I staying away. I'm staying away too. Yep, plenty of other plays for me elsewhere. Steelers, Raiders, we'll go kind of quick through these last couple games, but remember, Eric and I will also have a couple more shows later in the week. Uh, Steelers, Raiders, Eric, Steelers are a two-and-a-half-ish point dog on the road. The Raiders got beat up last week by the Bills, started the game off well, but then just nothing, couldn't really make adjustments, and now Adams got hurt. Josh Jacobs had negative two yards on nine carries. It was the fewest rushing yards in a single game by a reigning rushing leader since 1950. Um, yeah, Jimmy G, he was graded qu- quarterback 25 on the week. I don't know why they're not throwing the ball to Renfro at all. He got no targets in week one, and then he got one he target. No connection. Like Last week, right? Speaking, Garoppolo really doesn't target the slot, and Renfro yeah. had that connection with... Um, with what's his face, Derek Carr. So I mean, he's just unfortunately he's just not not getting any any love just because of the quarterback switch. Big line movement here. Uh, Steelers were laying a point point and a half. It's already moved three points. So with that being said, I kind of think the value is going to be on the Steelers. I really haven't done anything in this game. Tomlin fifty six percent ATS in these prime time spots. Uh, road dog 61%. I think it's just another one of these instances, Eric, where I'm, I'm stealing a line from you again, which of, of the, all of these units, like, which do you trust the most in this game? I trust the Steelers defense, right? Exactly. Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. But on the flip side, this allegiance field, that thing is loud. Yeah. Trust, um, Pickett's going to be able to make some plays, going to be able to get get home. I don't know. I just – if this gets to three, maybe I can talk myself into the Steelers, but I don't trust the Ra- the Raiders winning with any any margin. So right now this is probably just kind of a stay-away stay away game for me. Two more games to discuss, and they're both Monday night football games for uh, the next – foreseeable future we'll have a couple monday games and the games will be simulcasted uh, in the years I, I know absolutely i despise it i hate it why are you trying to change such a good thing give me and one they're month. doing it well they're doing it this year right now uh because of the writer strike 
because now they use it on ABC and on ESPN because ABC needs the programming because they don't have as at right now is when a lot of the new TV shows would be starting and they're not. So they don't, they don't have content and they're going to try to double up. uh, They're going to at least double up the the simulcasting and have it on like ABC and ESPN. But this is a thing that's going to be happening now for the next few years. Um, Two Monday games, Eric, I might add the Steelers as a play for us if we need. I think we've got three. That might be a fourth one uh, for us. Yeah. Eagles, Bucks, Monday Night Football. Eagles show how well rounded they are last week. Um, after week one, Goddard did nothing. Then they got him more involved. He was targeted seven times in week one. Swift did nothing. Then week two, they have 175 yards rushing right. because Gain- Gainwell was Is that out. Because of my theory of the Sunday to Thursday turnover, though, did they right? purposely rest him? And that and that's smart if they did, and that's good coaching. Very good coaching if they did. And he looked fresh because he didn't get any, he didn't have any bumps from Thursday. Um, Again, they weren't like fluid. They kicked a field goal on the opening drive. They went three and out. They threw an interception, then a missed field goal. When they started to lean on the run, they ran on 13 out of 16 plays. And then uh, they scored on four straight possessions in doing so. Just keep in mind, this is a new coordinator on both sides. So they are figuring things out, right? New play caller. So it's just a second game calling plays here. And you could see that A.J. Brown was not happy. They almost got in a fight on the sideline. Um, all of his receptions this year have been nine air yards or fewer. And he only had four catches for 29 yards. You know, their secondary is not in great shape. Uh, Bradbury and Blankenship were inactive. Maddox got hurt. The backups got torched. And even Darius Slay, who was covering Jefferson um, for much of the game, he got lit up. You know, Jefferson, we mentioned his numbers earlier. Eric, my guy, Baker freaking Mayfield. I got to pump him up right now because who knows how long it's going to last. But Baker, through two weeks, he's graded quarterback number three in passing grade. He's been really good. He finished 26 of 34, 317 yards, no interceptions, big plays to Evans. He's had no turnover so far this year and only one sack. That He's done all that you can ask of him, right? That's that's all you're asking. He's played absolutely great. and This is as good of a stretch of two games as he's probably played in his whole career, honestly. Yeah, he's looking good. Um, Maturity-wise, he's really... He's really kind of fired the team up. Um, it's nice that he's kind of under the radar too. You know what I mean? Yeah, Nobody's like talking not, about him. They're not out in the public. It's like, oh yeah, Tampa's won two games and Baker's played well. It's yeah. not out there. He's not in a bunch of commercials. He's not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's good for him. It feels like. For me, I look at it like this. And I said, there's going to be two quarterbacks I'm betting on. That I absolutely. I knew it. Play. And I knew it. I'm bet. I took him here. I got him here. I took him at the five. Um, you know, the Eagles, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Eagles have a lot of injuries in the secondary. Evans and Godwin have looked great. I think they're going to you, be- you called that one, my friend. You were all over Mike Evans and his prop this year. And he's been incredible through two weeks so far. And like breaking away too. like good on Baker and good on him for just getting good on the staff. Baker throws the ball down the field more than Brady, right? No one's going to compare Baker to Brady in a lot of ways, but Baker will take way more shots deep down the field. Yeah, he'll take way more shots, everything. Um, and he'll push the ball more. He has the arm strength. I So I really like that. Eagles are counting on a lot of young players. That's another thing you have to monitor, lead into some rookie mistakes. You know, you mentioned the two young play callers. And another thing that stood out to me in that Thursday game was Hurts' feet. He wasn't getting his feet set at any of his throws, caused a lot of the throws to be off. 
There is obviously it looks to be a little bit of some internal issues going on with AJ Brown upset with the amount of targets and receptions that he's getting. I know people are going to look to target Smith, but Smith, but Vita Vera is there. Vita Vera, whatever his name is. He's there. He's going to be clogging up that middle, make stuff a little bit harder for Smith. Mayfields look good. I think they're going to be able to take advantage of the issues that the Eagles have being so young and with their injuries. I'll take the five. Yeah, we're uh, we're on this one together too. So we're gonna play the Bucks at home as a, a home dog here. You're, you're getting you know five ish and uh, in that range. Let's go to the last game of this week: Rams Bengals. Man, my Rammies, I gotta give them credit, Eric. They had played really well through two weeks. Puka Nakua, fifteen catches. He's the only player this year with double digit receptions both weeks. And he broke the record for the most ever receptions by a rookie. The most ever catches in the first two games of a career. They scored on all three first half possessions. They were up 17-10. San Francisco scores a touchdown on the final play of the half. So then it, they get they tie. And later in the game, the Rams are driving on the 49ers 31. It's second down, so they're already in field goal range. Ball bounces off their receiver's hands, and the 49ers get a field goal there. So a six-point swing. It's back to a seven-point game. 49ers or the Rams are driving again. Van Jefferson runs a terrible route, doesn't come back to the ball. Defender steps right in front, and then the the 49ers go up 10. They had more first downs. They ran more total plays, more total yards. They were better on third down, won the time of possession by over six and a half minutes, but two turnovers. That's the difference in the game, and they did all that without their best player. Look, I don't know what's going on with Burrow, but I can't be on the Bengals side right now based on what I've seen from them, and and I'm not sure if he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play. Eric, uh, this is two and a half here. I, I mean, I'm leaning Rams just based on that. I feel like the number moves a little when we get some for sure announcements that he may not be in there. And everything I've been reading and hearing today is that they may be making moves that he may be gone for a few weeks. So I like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I can back the Bengals not knowing their quarterback issues and their offense hasn't even looked great before it felt like Burrow was starting to get into a rhythm and now he's going to be hurt. I think the main thing here is we need to realize that this game opened up at seven. When this so game opened up yeah. seven, I was you like, can't oh, touch man, it. I'll, I'll take the Rams. Like that sure, was, sure. I was like, I'm definitely going to be taking the Rams. And then the Burrow news came out and this, this thing just dropped to one and a half. Now it's, it's kind of a little buyback at two, two and a half. Now look, if, Burrow comes in, I'm going to be all about the Rams. I I try to tell you, man, you know, this Rams team is good, dude. I really they're think they're a little bit under the radar. I think oh, they are. They're way better. They're they're way, way better than I thought. And I you, think they're, I think they're like, that. dude, this team, they could absolutely make the playoffs. Absolutely. If they stay like, healthy. Let's face it. They could have beat San Francisco. They, they should have. They were better than them. They outplayed them in every way. There were just every mistake they made. The 49ers capitalized. They were two receiver mistakes. And if those receivers don't make those mistakes, the Rams are going to win that game. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I look at it like Rams are nothing for me here. I'm just going to kind of wait. Obviously, um, it's going to be, I mean, the Bengals, if they don't win this game, their season could completely fall off. I know. The only thing that that's nice for them is they got about a three or four week stretch coming up where they've got some winnable games. But you're saying... This was a game that on paper early in the year, you you chalked up as a win for them. Yeah. Right. You're sure. looking at their schedule. You're like, oh, okay, we're at home against a Rams team. That's not going to be good. They're probably trying to tank. Like 
total win. Now, all of a sudden, these games are games that are losses. Like, okay, maybe you chalked up game one of the year or, you know, one of your first two games as a loss against your divisional, you know, I could have seen that, but you've already lost two games in the division. And now you got a Rams team that was a win on paper coming your way on Monday night. We'll see if Burrow's healthy. He's got an extra day. He probably will try to gut it out, but I'm not sure if that'll be the best for them. Remember, you can join me and Eric again on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time at DRF Sportsbook. Make sure to follow Eric, etop 21 Sports all over the place, and uh, his podcast will come out on Friday as well. Eric, anything to mention before we let you go? Uh, no, let's hopefully, you know, it's been a good week, so good year so far. Hopefully we can kind of keep it going and, uh, you know, make some money. I got us as Broncos plus six and a half. We got the Packers plus uh, Packers minus the two. We got the Bears plus the 12 and a half. We've got Tampa plus five. And then I put in for our fifth one Steelers plus two and a half because we needed a fifth. And that just sort of felt like the one that we were both on the, the side of most. We recommend that you wait and see if you can get a better number. We'll mention it right now because if you're listening to the show, we try to mention numbers that we have at least right now. And so we we won't grade ourselves on a number that we don't even have yet. We'll, we'll have to score ourselves on that one at plus two and a half. Eric, buddy, thank you so much, man. You have a great rest of your night. And uh, we'll be talking again a lot this weekend. Sounds good. Talk soon, man.